This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash lasertime and let them help you tell your story. Nick Cage returns to Ghost Ride. Wayne's World movie is not bad. And Super Troopers is out meow this week on 302010. Ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between, welcome to 30 20 10, the Laser Time Network's epic weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a journey across three decades in time of movies, TV, video games, music, and so very, very, very much more. Hello, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista, and who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and R.I.P. Douglas Trumbull. Yeah. And people don't know, but they should. Yeah, effects master. It was the yeah. movie. It was the movie he made. He's made a couple movies. Did he? I want to say he. Did he direct Silent Running? Yes, he did. That's the exact one I'm That's talking about. Right. The, yeah, but the, you want to know why the special the tonal, effects in 2001: A Space Odyssey and Blade still, Runner? Yeah, it look just as good as the ones from Star Wars years and years later. Douglas Trumbull. motherfucking Trumbull. And he, well, Silent Running is the basis of Mystery Science Theater. A lonely True. man talk, who can only talk to robots, but also happens to be Bruce Dern and not Jill Hodgson. And who <laughs> we're interrupting our, our our other co-host. Who else is with us? And I'm J.R. Rawls, and that is one magic loogie. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're not in the Laser Time Facebook community, did Fish Police beat Capital no, Critters? As of this moment, Tie? it is a complete tie between Fish Police and... And Capital Critters. I think it's just wow. that it has to come down to which one you hate more. You no, you can't like either one. Uh, but yes, we were discussing uh, late, not great uh, Simpsons wannabe Capital Critters from a few weeks ago. This episode is might be, the, in terms of comedy, the best episode we've done in a while. We got some yeah. good stuff in here. We got some oddball stuff in here. We got some good, bad movies. And I just want to say the only fish police I care about is Abe Pagoda. There you go. Fish, and baby. I barely that get it. That reference is only for 80-year-olds. Yeah. I, I only get it. I only, like, know it. I don't actually know what it is or never seen fish or whatever that spinoff was. No idea what it is. Oh. To, to me, this is the first week where we have a genuine cultural milestone. Sure. Like, there is a yeah. thing we will talk about that is well-known to practically everyone. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't yeah. even know which one you're talking about because I think there's two. Yeah. Fair, I, I think there's fair. genuinely two, especially if you're a little younger. Uh, but but for me, I would say a watershed film for me that led me down a path of what and who I would like for the rest of my life is out this week. And I can't wait to tell you what that is. Hello. Did I already say this show is executive produced by Chris Parker and many other fine people at patreon.com slash laser time? Give us five bucks, please. Or less or more. If you give us more, we'll give you an executive producer credit. As the many, like Chris Parker, the many fine people at patreon.com slash laser time. We would appreciate it. We need it more than your uh, the other podcasts you listen to with all of their advertisers. Mostly it's just you guys supporting us. So we once again appreciate that. And we'll give you extra stuff. Patreon.com slash laser time. I believe me and Adam of Padukin are going to really dig into Jackass Forever this week. Um, just a wonderful, wonderful experience. I had no problem braving, braving COVID for. And I feel... 
no worse than usual. Anyway, moving <laughs> moving on to 30, 20, 10, we take a little a journey across three decades, 30, 20, and 10 years ago. From this point we're recording from, that means 1992, 2002, and 2012, and this week we'll be covering February 11th through the 17th. So beginning as we always do in 1992, let's dig into a tiny bit of news <laughs> And I just love the one word in here. I want to hear this. Uh, uh, on uh, the 11th of February, George H.W. Bush, the Nagada guy, is falsely accused of being amazed at an ordinary supermarket scanner. Why falsely? I, I still uphold this. <laughs> I, I looked into this. Okay. And George Bush, George W., George H.W. Bush go. was in a supermarket doing wow. a standard politician thing. This how a lady you do said, it. this is our scanner. He clearly says yes, as he as if he is understood supermarket scanners. He's familiar with the process. And then the lady goes on to say, and this is the new model that can read torn scans. And then he goes, oh, wow, that's a really nice thing. You know, the politician. Well, that thing don't going, beat all. Oh, uh, wow, God. that's a really nice thing. Thank you for showing me this thing. You know, I threw up and on a Japanese fella. And then it became a big news item and late night joke that George H.W. Bush had never seen a supermarket scanner and he was so out of touch that he had never seen him. But he did clearly know what one was and he was just doing the politician thing of, oh, that's a nice improvement. How do you? Yeah, he looked so he looked so dumb, though. Like he really (laughs) is just standing there with like, oh, and then I I run this over and it goes beep, huh? Whoa. Bar, you see this? Wow, it, it went beep. There's lasers. What is he supposed to say? I'm yeah. leader of the free world. This is the boringest thing ever. <laughs> yes. How dare you show Your this Your job is very peasant. important. What would our previous president think of a grocery scanner? Didn't he mention needing I- an ID to buy a banana for $10? That dude has never seen a scanner either, and it was that's 30 years later. Um, and he owns stores, so that's stupid. Oh, goodness. On the 15th, Jeffrey Dahmer found guilty of killing and eating 15 boys and men. Um, and also found sane. Yeah, just, the important thing is he was found sane, therefore, and also guilty. That sounds... Because obviously he tried to say he, he was obviously not in his right mind mm-hmm. if he wants to go out and drug and kill and eat parts of people. But... Under Wisconsin Wisconsin law, if a person knows what they are doing is wrong, then they are declared sane. And he knew that eating people was wrong. He just did it anyways. Uh, This did lead to the joke, how many people in Wisconsin do you need to eat to be declared insane? And the answer is more than 15. (laughs) Well, if he had been declared insane, it might have actually saved his life. So I don't know how they quantify such things, but like he didn't last very long in regular prison yep Uh, he was killed by a schizophrenic ironically enough he was killed by a barbell which is the exact same method he used to kill his very first murder victim wow Mm. and then afterwards he uh donated his brain to science and they declared that there was no physiological abnormality with his brain Wow. Ever since JR started, this became a murder podcast so fast. I, I just didn't see it coming. Good Lord. All right. And, and the final bit of news. On the 16th, Ethiopia finds the remains of Emperor uh, Selassie under the yep, private toilet. Haile Selassie. Haile Selassie under the private toilet of ex-dictator. Oh, my God. Uh, Mengistu Haile Miriam, who overthrew the emperor. What the? F- That's not that very. That is the pettiest bitch move I have <laughs> ever heard up, right. except for maybe the creation of Arlington National Cemetery. This is some petty bitch shit. 
shit, man. You got to be really mad at a guy to not just overthrow him and his dynasty, kill him, but then to go, you know where you should rest? Forever. Uh, Under my yes. Under my toilet. But yeah, Emperor Selesi is actually very important to the Rastafarian religion and is believed yep. to not be dead oh, cool. uh, among oh. some Rastafarians. Despite having found his remains. Okay. Well, he lives on in our hearts and our giant spliffs that we need for religious purposes. <laughs> yeah, that is some petty shit, though. It does kind of bring to mind to me, you know, you eat someone and that's wrong. Mm -hmm. You defecate on someone for decades that's also pretty isn't that almost like kind of related it, it, it sounds like an immigrant talk i shit on your bones uh, <laughs> but he, he did he did all for and years for, for not just like a few months he was like every time <laughs> i i was for i first decades. read it and i'm like well that's a hasty way to discard of something but i know it seems very intentional let's move into and the... unfortunately it is not the last time we'll be talking about misplaced bodies this episode oh great Ooh. oh great yeah. well let's let's yeah. move along because everything in this this segment is kind of wonderful <laughs> except for the first two things uh the no. movies of 1992 what i've never heard of any of the, the first basket two things. case the basket case trilogy <laughs> Coming to an end, I have a real soft spot for the Basket Case movies because they are they feel so handmade. What and are the Basket so Case movies? So cheesy. It's about a guy and his twin. That's this uh, weird rubber puppet that he keeps in a basket, and then it like goes kill people. And then I think they become conjoined in the second one, and then he like cuts them off. And the third one is kind of you know I think the progeny. I think the guy in the basket is trying to reattach to his brother so they can go on a killing spree and they are made for like eight dollars but with a lot of love it, th this film starts with a woman who has been pregnant for six years <laughs> what <laughs> it's it's on youtube you can find it and i didn't watch much of it but i just watched the lady say yeah i've been pregnant for six years he just doesn't want to come out and then a giant hand just punches through her, her torso <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, uh, I promise you comedy, people. Pro Basket Case 3, The Progeny. Also out this week, look at this cast. I, uh, Brent Huff, uh, John Prine, Deidre O'Connell, uh, Kate Noonan, Larry Crane, Ken, uh, Kay Lenz, Dub Taylor, Claude Akins. That's what, yeah. Mariel Hemingway and uh, John, get that cougar out of here, Mellencamp, Falling from Grace. What? Another theme, directorial debuts. Uh, yeah, John Mellencamp directed and stars in this with a story by Larry McMurtry where he's kind of just playing himself of like, you know, he was just an Indiana boy and he went off and got famous. Now he comes back and he's got to, you know, choose between these women. And it's like, I, I couldn't wow. find it to watch it. I didn't have the time. Mm -hmm. RIP John Prine. He's, we he lost him to COVID, but the reviews were all really good. Wow. Like 70% on Rotten Tomatoes, something like that. Like everyone was saying, holy shit, like, this is an interesting story, and everyone's good in it, and John Mellencamp has a future in acting, and strangely enough, he just kind of didn't. just like, mm, yeah. Yeah, I, yes. It just, yeah, does, it sounds a lot better than the other movie we have starring a singer that we get to talk about later. Oh, boy. Uh, but, man, I, I think of this as the Diana-style quiz we do at the end. If you've, if you've never <laughs> been to our website or looking at the show art, when can you figure out what movie this is? If I read from the back. Ed O'Neill, Alice Cooper... The late great Meatloaf, also taken by COVID. The late great Chris Farley, uh, Mrs. Ackroyd, Donna Dixon, 
Kurt Fuller from Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> okay, also Lee, Lee uh, Turgenson, Dan Bell, Michael DeLuise, Laura Flynn Boyle, Brian Doyle Murray, Tia Carrera, Rob Lowe, uh, Dana Carvey, and Mike Myers. A surprise number one hit at the box office. It's motherfucking Wayne's World. From the basement of Wayne and Garth. Excellent. Comes the most high octane. I think it's gonna pull a chug. Vitamin backed. I'm getting tired of holding this. Yeah, that's what she said. Industrial strength. From this height, you could really hock a loogie on someone. Adventure of all time. Hi, Wayne. It's Wayne. It's God. It's Wayne's World. We're not mental or anything, so don't be afraid. Rated PG-13. Oh, this this movie is so <laughs> goddamn good. And I, I I had a great time re-watching it and really fell down a rabbit hole with it because I had so many questions about Wayne's World that mm-hmm. I'd never really had it, answered before. Why did it take him 12 years to make another SNL movie? Yes, yes, among among other things. But I do believe, I don't think Lorne Michaels was involved in Blues Brothers. They somehow were... Able to, they quit SNL to make the Blues Brothers movie. So I don't think NBC was even involved in that somehow. I really wanted to know is whose idea was the Wayne's World movie? I want to imagine Mike Myers, but there are two credited screenwriters, uh, the Turners, who had written other things for SNL and other SNL movies, including the Coneheads. I yeah, I don't know where the idea to make a movie came from, but I do I do know that Wayne Campbell was a character that extends back to Canadian television to 1987. Wow. One yeah. of my, uh, on, on a, a little show called It's Only Rock and Roll, I always like to make the joke that only Terry Bogard from Fatal Fury and Wayne Campbell wear a hat with a title of a thing they're in on them. But <laughs> yeah. going back, like Wayne had a Jack Daniels hat, which makes yeah. much more sense. But then when you get into licensing, maybe you want to not do that. But, uh, you know, Wayne sounds Canadian. Mm-hmm. Uh, he loves hockey. You know, that makes perfect sense and of course uh mike myers is canadian yes i i gotta think that the idea for hey hey lauren how about we make a movie about this i think it would be great to make a movie about that has to come from mike myers because i think so this too. was a vi- wayne was a very very i'm just gonna say it, methodical effort of mike myers to become more popular he <laughs> hitched himself to one of the more popular writers on snl to get a sketch that would star him to come on uh, regularly. And originally, he didn't want Garth in it. That was not his intention at all. It was going to be just him, and Garth was added at the last minute. And And, he he just so uh, happened to choose the most famous SNL person of all time, which I just, dude, cast a new guy next time, and you can probably get more Wayne's World stuff made. Because getting Dana Carvey up until recently to come back and reprise his role was pretty difficult unless mm-hmm. you, unless you got the money and- but uh <laughs> you know this film set a template for a lot of Mike Myers future films I, I mean I- Bones of Austin Powers are in this film, hundred percent. I'd say a lot of fourth wall breaking comedies. When I exalted L.A. Story, and it's like smart yet like really silly and dumb and cute at the same time, like that kind of template for that movie. Really talking about selling out while your movie is <laughs> actively selling out is still hilarious. Thirty years later, yes, my kids. <laughs> By the way, this holds up completely with kids. Yes. I watched it with both of mine. They laughed a lot. There was no, we don't want to watch this old person thing. It was very enjoyable. It's funny all the time. Every second. It's, it, there's no wasted moments, I think. Mm, no. What? I completely disagree. So there are some wasted moments, and I 
don't understand why, because most of this movie, you know, what do you, what do you as mean? much as there's sort of a plot sort of going forward, generally. You don't anytime like the crucial wasting, plot stuff? <laughs> anytime they're wasting time, it's usually for a joke. And there was one point, I really do not understand why they wasted time on this, where, I mean, the plot is that uh, Wayne's World is a cable access show. Uh, evil rich guy Rob Lowe wants to buy it and corrupt it. And there's a scene where Rob Lowe is like, we got to go talk to these idiots. It, him and Kurt Fuller as his henchman, like, go to the station. And the guy's like, yeah, they're not here. They record from the basement. And then they go to the house. And it's like, there wasn't a joke. Why was You're right. I, I think it's just to introduce that character actor. Oh, what is his name? He's great. Yeah, Mike. I think it was just to introduce a character that comes back at the end who could have just been introduced in a scene later when we see him again and saying, I got fired from the station. Why was he just introduced there? I know this is the dumbest nitpick, but it's like I've been thinking about it for days now. Like, why was this okay. extraneous two minute scene there when the rest of the movie, the only time they waste time scene, the is movie, for jokes? The movie has well, three endings. <laughs> yeah, I know. And they waste time, you know, reenacting the opening of Laverne and Shirley because I, there were there were a handful of jokes. I was just running the count of like, well, no one gets that anymore. No, that no, no, the... commercial. No, it's well, that's that. that's that, that's my big question Newprint's here. Newprint's not in the market anymore. So at, well, some, this... at some point, this became every young boy in my neighborhood's favorite movie. We had it on home yeah, video. We watched 100%. it every oh, day. This took over my high school. So, so, so I'm saying the the question, the three questions I have is like the movie seems to be set in the 70s. Starring 80s characters. It, it is. Like, it, it, Mike Myers has even said it's representative of his childhood. And, oh, and then, to, and then, I believe no. it's representative. But to me, this is such in a specific time and place. But this by the time the, we were watching yeah. it, which I know I saw it in the second run theater, the hair metal thing was not really happening. Well, so it was three it, years it was from the falling. first sketch to this film. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. you know. Which was I instantly, in the sketch was hugely popular. Yeah. I think yeah. hair metal was still big in 1999, yeah, and so they're yeah. just keeping the sketch going. And hey, you know things have dips and rises. Who maybe they were thinking hair metal would be big in a few years, and it wouldn't matter. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but I, metalheads are loyal. They stay metalheads. But that's what I think is beautiful about it. We watched this movie never really thinking about that. They weren't really representative mm -hmm. of our youth. And I think Dana Carvey makes it a point of saying, "I'm like 36 years old." I am. I'm not. I am not a child. I am not a teenager. Teenage headbanger. Those scenes really hurt me. And <laughs> no, I. I was thinking about how the 1991 in this of it all, where it's like, yeah, it's not clear when it is, except for everything about Rob Lowe, his yes. apartment, his clothes. And I was thinking, like, oh, poor Rob Lowe. Honestly, because it's like he's at his most beautiful. And I'm sure he's very fit, but the clothes in 1991 were Ugh. so blousey and Pleats, baggy. Pleaty. And I, I love that he's, Rob Lowe is effusive with his praise of like, he had kind of gone through a rough controversy and this mm. is his first comedy. No one yeah. thought of him yeah. for comedy except for Lorne Michaels and his sort of tribute. He didn't really know how to play the character. And he said, I am playing Lorne Michaels in this movie <laughs> before Dana Carvey and Mike Myers would fall out over an impression of. Lorne Michaels, as mm -hmm. they would go go on to make other movies with with and without Lorne Michaels, I, I just couldn't believe how well I thought this hold up. How yeah, how clever and funny every single scene is. I know it all by heart. I can recite the whole thing with my brain. the The soundtrack is pretty dated. 
Because, like, to, again, to me, all that music was on the way out. Everything except for one song, which is it, Ugly Kid Joe? No, no, Ugly Kid Joe. Because <laughs> by the time by the time I'm into music, um, and I got into like MTV music through Beavis and Butthead, Ugly Kid Joe was the last metal thing I remember seeing on MTV. And mm. it, everything else was like Blind Melon, Nirvana, Pearl Jam. And, but it also, I have seen some SNL. I remember the revelation watching SNL when I like. That guy looks just like Wayne Campbell. What the fuck is going on? And I'm like, and my friend, you didn't, this is based on an SNL sketch. I'm like, I know, I know, I, I know, I know, I know, but I didn't know. And this 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 movie it basically makes me a hardcore SNL fan. And more than anything else yeah. that Mike Myers deserves credit for, I had never heard Queen. I was a kid without my mm-hmm. own television. I only listened to the radio. I had never heard of Queen in my life until this Same movie. Same with my entire junior high school school yeah okay we did not know who queen was none of us knew it we 100 percent thought it was like some original song for this awesome new movie we all saw yeah i was not popular but even i at one part in my junior high school career was hang headbanging to bohemian rhapsody in a car just because that's what you did after seeing this movie a hundred percent i don't know if it was the song or the movie that was so popular but they had a recut of the music video with wayne's world footage in it and it played in heavy rotation for the next year and a half on mtv and vh1 Mm -hmm. making both of them stratospherically popular in a way i don't know what have happened without one another and 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 it's It's, i've looked at what bohemian rhapsody does on the charts it it creeps in this week Mm-hmm. And it it heads up for months. It's not until the like late summer that it actually drops off the top 100. And if if you still listen to rock radio, you will hear this song every day from yeah. nothing to every day for 30 years. And that's why that it, Mike Myers is that great cameo in that horrible Bohemian Rhapsody movie as a record <laughs> executive who hates Bohemian Rhapsody, even though Queen has kind of acknowledge like oh, yeah like this we weren't even big in america until this movie came out and and then there's also i yeah. think we... well they were waning i mean they were around obviously we just talked about um freddie mercury passing away but this is like this is an oddity this is not a song people knew as much if you th- thought about queen you thought we will rock you we are the champions I, yeah, I... I wish I could bring people back and and this song is so fucking bizarre and the the sequence (laughs) in the movie kind of starts in the middle of it. So for this like seven minute operatic weirdo song that is Queen having a ton of fun and fucking around to become like household is fucking nuts to hear the song for the first time is crazy. Right, because if you're a 14-year-old, part of the demographic that's going to see Wayne's World, this song will blow your freaking yeah. mind, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and and I think we were talking in the chat, like, uh, there's rumors, like, you know, Freddie Mercury saw the sequence before he died. I think that is Brian May being very nice. Yeah, and... I would like to believe that would was true. That would make me happy. If it were true, but the timeline doesn't really work out. He yes. was too sick, and the movie was edited too late for someone to really realistically get a pre-copy to him before he died. That's that's mm. probably and no one because if you if you didn't watch that Josh Gad reunited a part episode in Wayne's World, Brian May pops up and says the story again. And it sort of doesn't make sense in a time without the internet that this could have 
been edited and given to him on time. But what, the reality is, Freddie Mercury had probably someone told him a movie called Wayne's World has licensed your, one of your songs. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, he, he probably oh, knew it was goodness. happening and was fine with it. I don't know that he saw the sequence and yep. loved it. Yeah. What's and, it about? Um, two metalhead dorks. <laughs> yeah. I, I, again, more. Well, I, mean, I do want to bring that up because if you think yeah. about it, the plot of this movie is overwhelmingly in the last 20 minutes of this movie is mainly a machine for jokes which work great yeah i mean that's a valid way of making a film but the actual plot is highly highly condensed to the last 20 minutes. yeah and and the plot is so bare bones the we're gonna take away this thing you love it's that they kind of do that in like a lot of very bad snl type movies yes it's kind of it's a very basic here are these guys and now the they're conflict not friends is, the thing is that they love oh, it's a hundred percent we're going to take the ski lodge away from the teenagers yeah you know i, I do like we're, i did closing down the wrecks i did write it down i do hate it's like it's like on a when a superhero's powers are taken away wayne and garth aren't friends anymore that in the movie is about 90 seconds they immediately yeah. apologize <laughs> and, and get back and to the jokes tia carrera mm-hmm. rightly slams wayne numerous times he comes to her music video mm-hmm. ruins it is a real jerk ass she tells him to go away and then oh. a snake touches her and she changes her mind for no reason i don't yeah. know i think i think it was benjamin's icky aura which he was standing right next to mm. uh and he also got to do that whole oscar clip thing which still i i think is hilarious <laughs> every time i see nerd it. To <laughs> there are so many quotable lines. Yes. Oh yeah. We, we quoted that. We quoted not. You know. Yeah. Mike it, Mike it Myers is, was a catchphrase machine, but it is important to remember for about five years before that he's been honing this character and think I didn't know that I didn't know he had detour and detour and Wayne Campbell were pre-existing characters with with a lot of time to build. But Mike Myers, if you read about him as a writer, a lot of people wrote things together and Mike Myers wrote on the floor by himself and would come up with immaculate sketches that needed no rewrites and was kind of a phenom instantly at SNL. Some of those catchphrases didn't translate well to foreign markets. I recently (laughs) learned that when monkeys fly out of my butt was translated (laughs) to the Spanish market as when judgment day comes. Which to me has a completely different context. I mean, maybe their judgment days involves anal monkeys. That that, that could be part of it. That could be part of it. And just so many, so many famous people. Tia Carrera, like doing a. I I think she was a singer. I've only heard her music in the credits of Batman: Mask of the Phantasm. That is one of her singles. I didn't. And just watching this, I didn't give her credit. She sings like six songs well. Uh, and is yep. also beautiful. And is also English is her second language. Like I don't know, just like the weirdest yeah. casting. I was looking into that of like, what, she's from Hawaii. Yeah. And I was like, I, I couldn't figure out. And it's like her family is like Chinese and Filipino and some other stuff. And I was like, was English her first language? Yeah, or right, is she doing know. a really good job of making it sound like Chinese was her first language? I, yeah, I, I'm <laughs> not sure. <laughs> because, yeah, she, she speaks with a bit of an accent. But it sort of comes and goes. Like, do I need to do more research? We need to watch more Tia Carrera yeah. stuff. <laughs> And try to figure out if she's actually doing a really good job or just eh, whatever. But just at, no, at, at that, this movie at that is, point, is uh, full of sixty-second all-star spots. So, yeah, Larry Flynn yeah. Boyle should have done a lot more comedy. Yes, 
Yeah. <laughs> a gun. Dude, I love all these quotes. All these quotes are so good. And I haven't watched the movie, I, I would say, in at least a decade. And it just it came through as utterly immaculate. I went through it's all of the sketches after 20 afterwards. years since I've seen this. And I'd say I remembered 75% of it. It it stuck with me that well. And it still works. It's still amazing. How, how good is Ed O'Neill? Ed O'Neill. He's in I, a completely different movie. I want to watch that movie, though. I'm very yeah. curious about the man who literally never leaves the donut place and has apparently been involved in some very shady shit, <laughs> but feels really strongly about it. I, I always wondered behind the scenes... And only in Coneheads is this is an exception. How do you have a Lorne Michaels produced movie during the summer without more SNL cast members? And Chris Farley is always there. Gets cast in Billy Madison, Coneheads, Wayne's World, uh, Wayne's World Two, in a completely different role. He's apparently you can't make a movie without him. But like, yeah, how are there how are there not more SNL people in this movie? It does feel weird. Yeah, yeah you're right. It's they're, they're filming during the summer. So. Mm -hmm. How many SNL people were there in Blues Brothers? Uh, just two. Oh, that, that, yeah. that was that you was know, totally. So that's the model they're going off of. You know, I, I we've got to keep in mind, I 1992 so. is not the like sequel machine that now is. I mean, it wasn't assumed that we can just make this into a huge franchise that continues forever and ever and ever. It's more. Of it's the, true. It'll probably just be one, and that'll be it. We did that laser time about SNL movies so many years ago because. From now, Wayne's World, 1992 to, I think, 2010, there's a pretty consistent run of SNL movies starring their characters or the cast, and then they go away forever. We haven't had one in over a decade. But that was 100% started by Wayne's World yep. because it was such a huge, huge, tremendous success. And, and nobody nobody saw it coming. Directed by no. Penelope, uh, is it Penelope, Penelope Spears? Spears? Yeah. yeah, Penelope Spears, who did the... Uh, Decline of Western Civilization, which I think was such a great yes. call. The, the, well, the, the decline of who did the you know the punk rock and the heavy metal documentary. The decline of Western Civilization Two holds up the best because it is unintentionally hilarious. Mm -hmm. Metalheads with long hair, makeup, sitting in their pool next to their mom, chugging vodka, talking about how great they are. It's fucking hysterical. And yeah. I do want to point out that because this was such a huge success at the time of its release. Wayne's World was the most financially successful film ever directed by a woman. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of competition. I remember seeing the poster in the movie theaters and I misread it. I'm like, what the fuck is Wayne's World? And it said, and I read it, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll hurt. Huh. That sounds pretty emotional. <laughs> uh, I don't know that I want to see that and, until my entire school started quoting it. Every single line of it. Everybody was like, you have to see this. Uh, every kind of kid was into Wayne's World. And and I just, man, I, I'm sure every generation has that kind of comedy, but whatever you want to call it, Wayne's World was like my Caddyshack or uh, mm. a more current reference. Uh, there was something going on in the water, though, because it's so tied in my mind to the Bill and Ted phenomenon, mm. because yeah. the skit, Wayne's World, appeared for the first time days after Bill and Ted uh, was released. And it grew in popularity until this film was released. And, mm. you know, those two dumb guys, that's such a dynamic that, to me, just worked at the time. And yeah. part of me always wishes there had been a Bill and Ted and Wayne and Garth crossover. Dude, there's still time. No one is dead. And, and <laughs> no one is dead. We got to do this. Because, yeah, like... Uh, Mike Myers created the character Wayne Campbell for like a legitimate like let's talk about music in Canada and be positive, okay? And <laughs> and just as a character who like really like 
humorously, I think his first sketch is like talking about misspellings of like Motley Crue and, like, and other metal bands. And, <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then became, yeah, yeah he, he, he said he changed it. He fell in love with like that Robin Bird show in New York, the public access thing. And like, no, that's what the character should do. And I think that how many YouTube channels is are called somebody's world at this point like that oh. that spoke to, it spoke to youth i think a little more than i realized at the time like it's a show where i just talk about stuff i'm into who would want to watch that old chris executive says <laughs> yeah but i think he just hit something i hadn't thought about before which is like they're they're so upbeat even yes. when they're making fun of something they're very happy about it like they always have a just big smile on their face even when they're calling someone a psycho host yeah. beast the top 10 reasons we're sad the soviet union fell <laughs> that's like one a great wayne's world sketch <laughs> yeah but man rewatching this though like i was expecting it not to hold up very well and you know there's some jokes that are dated and there's some sloppiness like i just i know it's such a dumb complaint like a two-minute scene but it like it just ruined the flow of everything no, I but god damn and i have to also say i think i might like the sequel a little bit better if you like fast jokes the sequel is way charlton yeah. heston's cameo in that is so fucking funny <laughs> and out of nowhere gordon street uh <laughs> but i just i feel like we've talked about mike myers so much dana carvey carries a lot of this movie. yeah he, oh, he, had, he, had, he had to demand the movie be rewritten because he was very much written like a sidekick and only after a rewrite does he kind of get equal time and a little bit of in, in more story in the mo second movie kind of too much story and <laughs> again i don't think that's a coincidence i think that's mike myers wanting to have the film all to himself and that's why you get in his future projects yeah mm. apparently he was kind of a dick working on this but i've heard him explain it like it's my character and i cared about this and we have producers and directors who want to do other things and like that's not funny and this doesn't work and i think the thing he said he had to fight the hardest for was bohemian rhapsody everyone said no who, yep. who cares about this song who remembers this he's like me that's what me and my brothers did yeah. um, and that's yeah. i forgot that it's the beginning of the movie it's yeah. the introduction of all the characters and their little buddies and stuff including feature from oz i yeah. didn't realize that feature from oz <laughs> Your like, wife. but yeah it's a definite personal project for him he pulled a lot of his real life into it like the crazy ex-girlfriend who gives him a gun rack when he doesn't even own a single gun, is based on a true story. <laughs> Mike Myers had a literal ex-girlfriend do that to him. And, you know, God bless him for including it in the film. And I can only I add... Carrying it around to a donut shop. <laughs> I'm so good about that. And uh, she is he is mentioned in Wayne's World sketches as his current girlfriend. There's, there's, mm -hmm. there's my... Because, again, I fell in the rabbit hole. SNL has a, air quotes, every SNL... Every Wayne's World sketch. It's not every Wayne's World sketch, but it's mostly every Wayne's World sketch. I, I, I could not get over how intoxicating I felt with this movie once again. I still think it's it's just a above reproach comedy. It's still it's still really good. And you JR, you said your kids liked it? They still love it. It's still funny. It still works. I mean, they had no idea what public access was, but I'm not sure I knew what public access yeah. was in 1992, honestly. I mean, all you needed to know was YouTube at this point. It's yeah. pretty much that, what that, you that do on YouTube. That was their mental model. Mm -hmm. It was like, okay, these are, guys, these are uh, the first YouTubers. Got it. Yeah. And they sell out and get their own TV show. I get it. It makes total sense. And we got a lot of SNL to talk about. So I, I was really feeling the SNL love this week. I really was. And, and, and Wayne's World is a, is a great culmination of that, yet still kind of, I discovered this separate from SNL. I just, I found that so strange to hear, but then my husband said the same things. So I didn't know that was a, a sketch on a TV show. I'm 11. 
I don't even know if I could stay up that late. I, I'm 11. I, I, I was getting heavily into Saturday Night Live before Wayne's World. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. was like watching it very regularly. This is like yeah. my golden age of SNL for me. And if you listen to the cast in 1992, you're going to be like, holy crud, is that yeah. an amazing cast? But Wayne's World just like, solidified it it was like now i'm not missing a single episode because what if they do another wayne's world skit guys i what I, if i stopped going out i remember <laughs> once i could say <laughs> like no there's a new snl tonight i checked my vcr stopped recording it so i'd always stay home record and i'll leave at 11 30 and i'll come back because i got to see snl i heard somebody say the youtube era has cut down on the recurring sketches so like that's why you don't see that kind of thing happen hmm. anymore other than weekend update it maybe happens once a year because Everyone can go back and rewatch this over and over again. If this isn't right. all new, and if you watch those Wayne's World sketches, they reuse jokes constantly, <laughs> like 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 Looney Tunes style. Even in the movie, it, it it may diminish things for you if you're watching stuff in a modern. And anyway, Wayne's World is goddamn great. We have plenty of other SNL stuff to talk about. As we, yep. Anything else on Wayne's World? God, that Alice Cooper cameo so good. Meatloaf. Oh, good. The shitty Beatles uh. are they any good? They suck. I, I love the, <laughs> the shitty Beatles. <laughs> yeah, it it aged a lot better than I was expecting, except for you know a great Poupon joke here and there. Oh man, I, I'm I'm happy to confirm that joke is horribly told in the video game. A th- in a thousand times longer, it's hilarious. Look it up on our YouTube channel. It's the worst adaptation of a joke I've ever seen. It's in the video game. Uh, and then moving on to television, 1992, SNL. Man, this is one of the better, has one of the better sketches I've ever seen in it. The host, Jason Priestley, musical guest, Teenage Fan Club. Many things uh, premiere on this, including Chris Rock's Buster Jenkins, Phil Hartman's, whew, Susan the Transsexual. That is not what she, she is <laughs> Hello, called. Hello, my name is Susan. <laughs> it is, she is not referred to as a transsexual in the skit. And uh, Sprocket's yeah. dating game, but I just want to yeah, give a shout out to Jason Priestley. Is this the, the Winter Olympics is happening? He's doing the Winter yeah. Olympics skating sketch. <laughs> you know, so good, ah, oh, Canadians again. God bless him. He his figure skating to make to make a physical joke about commentators having to comment on a bad skater. Watch it as, as a forty year old. It looks like it really fucking hurts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he is not wearing any padding and falling a lot, and damn near close to landing like Olympic moves in a unitard. Jason Priestley, who knew? I mean, Canadian explains a lot. I want to give shout out to the Jiffy Pop airbag sketch <laughs> that just cracks me up every time. And in uh, Weekend Update, uh, David Spade says that he thinks he can take on an elephant. Now, in a 2020 YouGov poll. They asked the American public, which of the following animals, if any, do you think you could beat in a fight if you were unarmed? 8% of Americans think they could defeat an elephant what? unarmed. Dude, <laughs> I, I, have a, I have one of those banned from TV DVDs that came out like right around bum fights and girls gone wild. An angry elephant just like lightly stepping no. through a room will kick everyone around like a fucking ragdoll. It's are you crazy? I, I, I want to meet that eight percent and just like show them an elephant because I was a in baby Thailand. elephant. Yeah, I was in Thailand and they asked for volunteers from the audience for an elephant show. And I had my my job was to hold up a ball. The elephant would take the ball from me and put it in a hoop. This is a trained elephant. Shoot He's done this thousands of times before. Seeing this very peaceful happy smiling elephant he's having fun he's playing a game that he likes slowly slowly walk towards me 
was one of the most terrifying things in my life, and I have jumped out of airplanes, okay? No, I'm not kidding. I was far less scared jumping out of an airplane than an elephant slowly and happily approaching me to get his ball. I would, I'm, I'm actually pretty jealous. I would rather do, I would rather be conf- stared down by an elephant than jump out of a plane at this point. I, I really like effluents, and I only get to see him on TV, and somehow in my head, one of this works for anyone else. I said one time, like, how is that not two dudes in a suit? And now that's all I see when I look at <laughs> elephants and the way they bend their knees. Um, and then moving on to Seinfeld, the boyfriend. Jerry Seinfeld himself said this is one of his favorite episodes, and it's possibly the first one. It's the first one-hour episode of Seinfeld. the first one-hour episode of Seinfeld. There have been two-parters, but this aired as one hour. Correct. And I couldn't really find a justification why, but it's wonderful, and I've only seen it in two parts, which is how they show it in syndication. But on Netflix, you can watch it as it was originally intended in one part, and it's so much more satisfying, which I uh, I haven't seen since the DVD. There are so many classic lines in this. Mm-hmm. This is where we get Vandalay Industries. Um, and you want to uh, be my latex salesman. There are five separate Jerry in front of the nightclub telling stand-up comedy sketches mm-hmm. in this episode. And often I don't like those, but every one of these is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Every one of these has just become part of my lexicon. Uh, you know, you're looking for boxes when you're you're moving, and you to the point where you look at someone's coffin, and you're going, "That's a that's a nice box." <laughs> <laughs> my favorite. I think we may have discussed this when Sarah was on. There is a incredible JFK parody about Keith Hernandez spitting on uh, Newman and Kramer. But the greatest thing about it is that it's a JFK parody. With Wayne Knight in it, who's also in the room when that JFK original scene is occurring, uh, which I never got as a little kid, is pretty wonderful. Uh, that is one magic loogie. And the, audi- like, the audience knew it better than I did, because they clearly know what is being referenced here. Uh, but a great, great episode. I think last week we talked about Jack Handy and Deep Thoughts on SNL. Mm-hmm. I didn't know this ever happened. This is one of the weirdest things I need to find more of because it's bizarre and uh jack handy i believe created what before we could get really get like the topicality and impressions of snl my sister and i really latched on to toons as the driving cat like my grandma (laughs) could like that sketch i could like that sketch toons as the driving cat it's short it's one joke it's preposterous everyone loves it was never intended to be a recurring character the whole joke was steve martin in the original sketch was like well i saw the cat fiddling around and i guess i just assumed he could drive and then he (laughs) drives off a cliff boom boom that's it uh and and tunches gets his own like i think friday night special Mm-hmm. Which Long I thought time. would just be a compilation of sketches, according to the ad, at least. He's dangerous. He's wild. He's Tootsers, the toughest tabby in town. Tootsers, the TV show with Steve Martin and more, NBC Friday. I don't know how this could have been a backdoor pilot, but this is way more than just Tootsers, and it's pretty star-studded. Yeah, yeah, it's very hard to find. They put it out on VHS. And you can buy a used VHS For on Amazon. Fifty dollars. Uh, I tried. <laughs> yeah. the The whole thing is not on YouTube. They've got skits here and there, but uh, yeah, I couldn't find any way to watch the entire thing. But the skits are very hilarious. They're 
not live. You know, Saturday Night Live's whole thing is live. These or are fake live. pre-recorded. I've never in my life seen Bob Odenkirk and Phil Hartman star in a sketch together, but it's here in Ooh. this special. Joe Flaherty is not on SNL, but he's in the special. So is George Went, uh, and so is uh, Randy Quaid as a former SNL cast member. And for mostly like uh, remote shoots or off out out of studio shoots, which is strange. It's like an SNL special made up of non-live studio sketches and some tunes is here and there and i've and has, I've never heard of it i've never been able to find it um never can't see it anywhere it La- has one of my favorite sketches of all time Ooh. where abraham lincoln invents a time machine excuse me sonny are you john wilkes booth why yes i am <laughs> <laughs> It's even better that that's the guy, Mr. McFly. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, it's just nothing but Abraham Lincoln traveling to John Wilkes Booth as a young boy, trying to murder him, finding him as a young man, trying to murder him, posing as his fiance for apparently months so he can get the opportunity to murder him. <laughs> um Oh, that's great. And then, and then uh, we've gone long. Jr., can you briefly surmise the final two two things we have here? The two the two Fox sitcoms, the non SNL contents of yeah, this episode. Yeah, uh, Herman's head, a kept Herman, is exploring with all the tact that an early '90s Fox comedy would about whether a man can have issues of sleeping with his hot older boss, and the answer is. Eh? Maybe so. It's only sexual harassment if they're not hot. I would say it takes that attitude to like the 90th percentile. There's a 10% doubt, but that's it. And uh, Parker Lewis can't lose Boy Meets Girl Part 2. It's actually a really decent episode where they talk about what do you do when you're a teenager and the infatuation period of love ends. Because, you know, when you're experiencing love for the first time, you think, oh, I'm on the equivalent of a cocaine high right now, and it's going to last forever. But it doesn't, and uh, you've got to find a deeper connection. And the episode does a very funny way of showing what it's like for a teenager to realize that the cocaine level of first love high does not last forever. Hmm. Beautiful. Uh, Not something I'd expect from them. Yeah, I know. Good for them. Um, and then video games wise, 1992, the 11th through the 17th of Feb, Star Trek 25th anniversary on Game Boy and NES. How would you describe a typical landing party on the original Star Trek? Buh? Oh, uh, Family Guy has covered this very clearly. All right. What? It's, you know, uh, Kirk, Spock, Bones, Uhura, Ensign Ricky. But if you were to, like, describe what they do and how it feels to view them, how would you describe that? On a bridge? Exciting, (laughs) adventurous, any words like that? No? No, kind of just checking things out with tricorders. Okay, well, then I guess this captures it. Eaten by a blob. (laughs) Because every landing party in this game is plotting and tedious and slow and boring. (laughs) So if that's your version of the original Star Trek TV show, then yeah, you've got a a great conversion of it. I'm only going to stick up for these people because it's got to be difficult to develop something simultaneously on the Game Boy and (laughs) Nintendo. (laughs) Something you can do on both platforms. Uh, We also have F-15 Strike Eagle on NES. I'm assuming that has to do with uh, peacemakers, pet eagle, eagle 
uh, striking. Uh, you're, you're flying a plane, uh, and if you eject three times, the game is over because you now have a desk job. So, yeah. If you lose, doing the math, $300 million yeah. worth of equipment. It's a billion-dollar strikeout. Super Spy Hunter is on NES? I think that's so a- this was not originally a Spy Hunter game. Mm. It uh, was a Japanese game utterly unrelated to the Spy Hunter IP. They just brought it to America put the spy hunter logo on it it's a perfectly fun little driving game Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a late nes game so it really pushes pushes the hardware limit Uh, a lot of enemies uh you do get the oil slicks and you do get the peter gunn theme so you Ah, know that's all i need that's all you need for a spy hunter (laughs) and uh contra 3 the alien wars on uh super nintendo i have a tough time going back and playing the actual old Contras with the notable exception of this one. This one is hard but fair and beautiful. Contra 4 being a great highlight and reimagining. Contra through the Alien Wars. You can, the last time I played it was on my little Super Nintendo. Included and in to me, this is one of the perfect illustrations of the difference between the NES and the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can really see them going, okay, let's take everything in the original Contra and just pump it up to 11. <laughs> put I it mean, on Put it on a cyber motorcycle and speed <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Pretty much. I, I did learn, do you know the name of the Contra characters? Oh, shit, I used to. Johnny uh, Contra. <laughs> I wish. Jimbo and Sully. Anybody but Arnold and Sly. Yeah. That because that would get you sued. Okay, music of 1992. Uh, we got new releases. Mad Mad World by Tom Cochran. Black Eyed Man More by... Canadians! <laughs> Black Eyed Man by Cowboy Junkies. Return of the Funky Man by Lord Finesse. Uh, Somewhere Between Heaven and Hell by Social Distortion. A Picture of Nectar by Fish. Propeller by Gutter by Voices. And Seven by James. I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred is still number one. Deservedly so. Giving me self-esteem by the second. And we're going to close out with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen because a little film we've spent a lot of time talking about will jettison this I don't know how old song. I want to say early 80s, late 70s song back onto the charts. Yep. In a way, I know that it's long and it's weird and it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I, you know, actually, rip, I, so. I'd, I'd, you actually do see that in 75. Wow, you, you do mm. see that kind of thing more in the iTunes era uh, of, yeah. of, of being able to buy single tracks without thinking very hard about it. But this was actually hard to do, uh, much yeah. harder to do back in the day. Oh, wow, I just realized we have another theme of this episode of, of uh, a song from 20 plus years ago wow. suddenly coming back on the charts. Holy shit. All right. Well, yeah. We have, there's so much crossover this episode. I'm I don't going gonna, to tease anything. Diana did it perfectly, so stay right there. If you want to find out what she's talking about, I have no idea. Yes. We will not let you go. Let me go. We'll not let you go. Let me go. We'll not let you go. Let me go. Oh, mamma mia, mamma mia. Mamma mia, let me go. Beelzebub has a devil put aside for me. For me. If you're a content creator like the good folks here at LazerTime, you know how inefficient and demanding the creative process can be. Sometimes you just want a huge library of content to pull from and you need that perfect clip, image, sound, or piece of music. Well, good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge demand-driven library of 4K or HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. As 
assets are royalty free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all access plan gives you unlimited downloads from over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad right now. So whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's important to you, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash laser time. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash laser time. Coming into 2002 with What About Us by Brandy. It's on the charts this week. Welcome to 2002, February 11th to 17th. Other new music releases include Always Got Tonight by Chris Isaac, because it's 2002. I'm confused. Uh, Barricades and Brick Walls by Casey Chambers and Remedy Lane by Pain of Salvation. We should create a poll if you can guess what type of band that is. You Got It Bad by Usher is still number one. And then uh, moving on to a little bit of news. We got a little bit of news to let you know what's going on in the world. Outside of pop culture, the trial of former president of Yugoslavia, Slobodan Milosevic, begins at the International Criminal Court in The Hague. He dies before a verdict four years later. That's always very unsatisfying. (laughs) Yeah, and this is, this almost lines up because, yeah, shit's about to kick off in Serbia and Bosnia back in 92, so... Yeah, and his his fall is really interesting. Honestly, mm. he's should have been a cautionary tale of things to come for a lot of states. Um, but he was a very charismatic person who a percentage of his population never stopped believing in him. And there's a bit of a mirror image where he said, I won the election. And the people went, no, you didn't stormed the uh, Capitol building and overturned the false election results. But he was in power for a number of years after the NATO bombings. And the record is that he spent those years making it so he couldn't be easily prosecuted. He got rid of a lot of documents. He got rid of a lot of people. He set up a lot of other people to take the fall. And so it was really, really hard to actually prosecute him. And he had nothing but time once he was in jail. And he was a former lawyer, so he just went, I'm I'm gonna spin my wheels. Let's see how long this can take. And he made it last until he died. So he was never given a judgment and all the judges in the case uh, destroyed their notes. So, Jesus, yeah. All right, all right. Mm -hmm. In lighter news, uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, investigators find more than 300 uncremated bodies dumped in the woods by the Tri-State Crematory in Lafayette, Georgia. Oh, good Lord. Being in a newsroom when this story broke. Really? Yeah, it's... How do you hide 300 bodies? (laughs) Yeah. He said, well, some of them go in the shed, and some of them just sort of get dumped out in the woods. And there has never been, like, a satisfactory explanation. Like, first the explanation was, like, oh, the the burner broke, and we didn't have money to fix it. It's like, (laughs) well, no, actually, it looks like the burner had problems, but was okay. You the crematorium was functioning 
I mean, sometimes and you were you taking just... money from all these people to burn the bodies and then giving them concrete dust in return. So what? I, I mean, mostly it just shined a light on like how fucking unregulated so much of this shit is. I get behind so... in podcasts sometimes, but not 300 episodes. <laughs> so the original owner of this, it was a family business. He started to go insane. So mm -hmm. he turned the business over to his son and his son may have also started to go insane himself. Right. So, and some uh, of the it, thought was the mercury in people's fillings mm -hmm. when they were cremated that, you know, he was taking some of that in. And so they actually had mercury poisoning that was making him go nuts. But as far as I can tell, he was charged with the world record for most number of abuses of a corpse of all times. Oh, goodness. He had 828 charges <laughs> on the category of abuses of a corpse. You actually go to jail for that? Oh, yeah. I... Even abusing one single corpse one time can get you like 10 years in jail. Holy so Lord. 828 abuses. He was looking at a long, long time. Yeah. He ended up taking a plea. He did, I think, 12 years. He got out in 2016. Obviously, all the families sued and they got some money from the insurance company. And part of the deal was we need to have a development easement on this land because they did not find all the pieces of all the people. Jesus. So Ugh. we we need to leave this land no fucking buildings. They tore down the buildings that were there and they said this is this is basically a cemetery now. No one go bother it. Mm, I as a teenager, I do not respect those wishes and we'll be going out looking for human remains for the rest of my teenage years. At Move. least this didn't happen in the YouTube age. Because you so know Logan oh, Paul God. would be out there desecrating yes. bodies. Two thousand two movies. February 11th to the 17th. First up, Hugh Bonneville, Kate Winslet, and Jim Broadbent, and Judy Dench in Iris. Um, oh, this is a sad one. Is it? <laughs> yeah, this is, um, in a weird way, like we were talking about The Vow last week, about, like, what if you have a, someone you love who starts to not remember you? Mm. Um, this is based on a true story of this writer. Judy Dench plays her as an older woman. Kate Winslet plays her as a younger woman. And, you know, she's very full of life and fun and you know she's writing these books and and her husband is just like sort of you know he's just he's, he's a little tweety academic and he's just seems like they're an odd match but they're very much in love and then in her later years she develops dementia and jim broadbent plays her husband as an older guy trying to you know take care of her and he wins a well-deserved oscar god damn it everyone seems to forget jim broadbent finally got an oscar I and did. he could use a couple more because uh, he's great. He's uh, always great. And he's been playing old for 20 years now. Yes. <laughs> playing elderly. Yeah. Um, well, and I think part of the reason he won the Oscar is we're still talking the same year as Moulin Rouge. Um, <laughs> and could those characters be more different? No. He showed some fucking range. And, and yeah, it's really good. And it's really, really very sad and touching. And then we have to apologize because we talked about this movie last year because I fucked up. Oh, you did? Oh, we did? Yeah, um, we did. A year ago, oh, whoops, a I got my years wrong because it, it technically was a 2001 movie, but it released in 2002, and I fucked up, and we talked about this a year ago. Super Troopers. Super it's actually Troopers. 20 years old. <laughs> it's actually 20. But I know the release was complicated. It, it It's one of those weird stories. I, a, a broken lizard, a comedy troupe from college who had already made like a one really small movie that I've never even been able to find. Puddle Cruiser? This is me shrugging, but the Broken Lizard guys make Super Troopers, I think, with a sizable loan from like a friend's dad. That's how the movie is made. And so, you know, in that kind of world, it has a 
hyper positive clerk story because everybody who liked comedies loved this movie. I I dated a girl for a few years. She had six movies. This was one of them because (laughs) the people who saw this really, really latched onto it. And I, I don't even think Broken Lizard reached greater heights than this first time out. Uh, no, Fest is okay. And the second movie really like I kept trying to watch it. Like, why isn't this working for me? I watched the first one so many times. Recommended it to everybody I knew. Love Super Troopers. It's weird that we're talking about this at the same time we're talking Wayne's World. Is something yeah. that's like it nominally has a plot, but it's mostly just an excuse for a bunch of goofy sketches. Yes, and that's fine. About, and hi, about hi, funny Brian cops. Cox. <laughs> I mean, sketch movies are always hit or miss. You know, yeah. some of the sketches are good, some are bad. So the question is, how funny do you find the ones that hit? And there are a number of sketches here that will stick with you for your entire life. Littering you will ends. never Littering forget ends. two Littering people ends. chugging it's maple syrup. So, it's so gross. If you see gross. that one time, you're going to remember that. And they're really doing it, I believe, in the... <laughs> In the oh shots, that's like real syrup. Not. It's so gross. I thought I read wow. that they were really doing it. Again, we talked about this a year ago, but it's it's probably hitting a, a wide release. And just a, a, yeah. a movie made for like a million dollars goes on to become like one of the most renowned comedies of the decade. It's a very positive uh, story. Yeah. I and it's and it's all it's it's a it's a word of mouth movie. Yep. You know, it comes out in theaters and people, oh, you know, yeah. eh, whatever. It was a comedy. Okay. It, it reviewed not great, and then yeah. slowly. Became and then, a cult classic. Yeah, once once it hits DVD, it becomes one of those where like you you take it over to your friend's house and you make them watch it because it's so funny. Ooh, and then um, we have ugh, more positive war movies. No. <laughs> yeah. Linus Roach, Marcel, oof, what is that? Is that an arrow? Years. Cole Hauser, yeah. Terrence Howard, Colin Farrell, Bruce Willis, Hearts War. I did oh. not watch this. I did not watch this. I, this was not what I was expecting. Yeah, for some reason, I thought this was a Vietnam movie, and I think I was thinking of We Were Soldiers, which we talk yes. about, like, next week. Um, <laughs> this is a P- World War II POW movie mm. that involves, it's also sort of a murder mystery and trials and betrayals, and it's okay, you know? I appreciate we don't have that many World War II POW movies anymore. It used to be, like, an entire genre. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, it was okay and i appreciate also tying in with talking about red tails that terrence howard plays you know a pilot who shot down and he's the only person of color in this whole freaking pow camp and even the white guys who are all the other americans are pieces of shit to him and then like his buddy gets killed and it becomes a murder mystery who framed the other black guy and why dun 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 and on to yeah, it was like I mean, it had a bad reputation, but I was like, it was fine. Yeah, I think well, just a lot of those for me, all those all those war movies that came out of nine eleven. I was always like, I'm not touching this for a while. I'm just not ready to like cheer for a war just yet. As we brace mm-hmm. ourselves for whatever's about to happen to us, and I'm drafting eight. But you know what's ageless? Pete Pan. Pete Pan. It's never been too late to make a sequel from the fifties, except that it sort of was. Peter Pan returned to Neverland. A cheap VHS so sequel. This, I think this is the I, start of the Disney no. DVD. Is it? It's no? this. It's 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 not the start of that. That is currently happening a lot. I think it would it would take. Uh, I think when John Lasseter was kind of given the reins to Disney, he put a stop to it entirely. But like, yeah, mm-hmm. it, we, it's easy to forget that almost every Disney classic film has some shitty sequel. Hundred One Dalmatians, Lady and the Tramp, mm-hmm. Fox and the Hound, okay. Cinderella has a trilogy. 
that is difficult to get <laughs> yeah. a hold of. Um, yeah, see, right. I thought this was part of the the straight to VHS DVD, but no, no this this it, was elevated. It went to theaters and it did better than Hearts War did. Yeah. Oh wow. This was elevated okay. to a theatrical release very intentionally and given a little, little bit more money for the Movie Tune Studio, which I don't think it had a movie in theaters since the Ducktales movie. Again, I love the original Peter. I love only the Disney original Peter Pan. That is to me the original. I'm sorry, and this is. Terrible. Once again, Wendy's daughter. It takes place during World War II. That is the, that is the weirdest is, vibe. It is a little weird because the whole point of the film is that Wendy's daughter needs to realize the magic of childhood while the movie opens with her under a rain of bombs in London <laughs> under yes. the Blitz. You know, and she's taking everything so seriously. But she could die! She could die, people! And it's not, okay, she's 10 years old. It's not like the next five years are going to be really great times in Great Britain. And uh, Great Britain didn't end food rationing until 1955. So for Wendy's daughter... The, the year Peter 10, Pan was made. 25... She's going to be in a very not nice, hard environment. And maybe the magical whimsy of childhood wasn't the most important lesson she needed to learn at that specific point in time. Or maybe there's never been a better time to flee and enter a period of fun stasis than when you, than when your city's getting blitzed during WW2. Yeah, but what about all of your friends and the other kids at school and their families and everything you've ever known and loved. No, let's ignore all that and go to the magical world. No. He figured no. it out. Wendy's daughter is very responsible. I, I, on her side. I saw Spider-Man far from home. We can adjust to a blip. Just, just head out for five years. I, I do got to give credit. The voices are amazingly similar to oh. the original 1950s Peter Pan. It's like, I'm not sure you'd really notice it was different actors. Except to, you know, if you know how tragically Bobby Driscoll died. But I forget, the, mm. I forget the actor who plays Mr. Darling and Captain Hook in the original. But I think I, I was watching 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T recently because I'm an idiot. <laughs> and he's, he, he's, he's in that movie. And just like, that voice is, that characterization is so great. Manny! I, I love I, I love that Captain Hook, Mr. Darling uh, voice actor, whoever he is, and he was probably long dead. But, uh, I, I thought I'd get a chance to see this, but couldn't make it happen. Semi-important, Justin Long, Dan Aykroyd, Kim Cattrall, Taron Manning, Zoe Sedona, Anson Mount, and Britney Spears. Crossroads is out this week. This Friday. You're going to California. That is crazy. Then come with me. Are you serious? Three friends are out to prove. Let's go, girls. Road trips aren't just for guys. I'm not sleeping here. <laughs> Y'all, something bit my butt. Don't look. Ow. Britney Spears. You failed driver's ed, didn't you? Maybe. <laughs> Crossroads. Rated PG-13. Oh, this has been so easy to throw to Sarah. Uh, <laughs> so um, I, I cheated. Uh -oh. I watched this with a riff track. Oh. So, <laughs> uh, I would call that an enjoyable experience. The jokes were funny from the riff mm -hmm. tracks, Great. not necessarily from the film itself. It's yeah. honestly a bit impossible to watch this in the current year without thinking of current Britney because mm -hmm. Britney's character is talking about how she didn't really get a childhood because she was oh, working so hard and you can't help but be going oh yeah. Yeah, in real life yeah. you're working even harder than whatever you're describing Britney's film debut 
Mm-hmm. That that's nice. And it's about her and her two buddies, and they're going on a road trip where one of her buddies is like a social outcast because she's got teen pregnant. And then it turns out, oh, she's not just teen pregnant. She was sexually assaulted into being teen pregnant. Uh, oh, wait, I wonder who it could be. Could it be like the one other male character that's been mentioned in this ep- episode, t- this movie? <laughs> yeah, it's going to turn out to be. And oh, what is she going to do about her teen pregnancy? And the second she's like, I don't know what I'll do. Maybe I'll give it up for adoption. I'm like she's fallen downstairs by the end of this movie oh, to take away any actual choice. Because we can't talk about Shmushmortion. Was I right? You're goddamn right. I was right. (laughs) There's some questionable choices from these girls. Uh, Uh, They think a man is a murderer. Like a a literal murderer. And they still decide to go on a road trip with him. (laughs) (laughs) Women have to make a lot of tough choices. not. (laughs) But they still made the decision based upon their assumption that he was a murderer. That, yeah, this is a guy we should have in our car with our pregnant friend. I always assume that's how women... I always have to keep that in mind when they're dating someone new. This guy could Mm -hmm. murder me. (laughs) Statistically, this doesn't look good for me, but look good on Bumble. But there there are (laughs) other moments where humans are not acting like humans. Brittany's friend is getting in a fistfight with her other pregnant friend. And while this is going on, Brittany is just casually writing a song. (laughs) Girls, man, you know, we fight, we make up. It's it's what we do. Yeah, I, well, I mean, first I got to mention written by Shonda Rhimes. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, And yeah, I'm, I'm feeling that. And that like, it's heavier than you're expecting from a Britney Spears movie. Like I said, there's, you know, teen pregnancy and sexual assault and her whole thing is that she wants to meet the mother that abandoned her who turns out to be kim cattrall who wants fucking nothing to do with her and completely rejects her and it's like wow okay that's actually kind of heavy but it's also like it's not good bad enough to make fun of it's like competently made britney spears is a decent actor obviously zoe saldana killing it and uh it's it's just sort of odd because it's like heavier than what the audience probably what what we would think the audience would want, but also too heavy for them at the same time. Rift Track sounds like exactly how you should watch this. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, because if you're just watching it with your friends, like there's not enough to make fun of. Mm. You need professionals whose job yeah. it is to make fun of movies, to make this a fun movie to make fun of. Yeah. And I'm obviously there's gonna be some oh no, we're out of money. Oh look, a karaoke contest. Like yeah. 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 Have you ever seen a karaoke crowd just lose its shit for someone singing karaoke? No, never. Mm-mm. No, <laughs> nope. No neither. one. Not not ever. No, that's never I've, happened. I've I've, I've lost my I've enthusiastic lost my... applause, but I've never seen. I I am that. not. I am ashamed to admit I have lost my shit and had to leave the room <laughs> when someone gets up who is just like very bad or very Japanese, and it's like this can't be really happening. I. <laughs> This guy's having a moment. I really got to leave the room. I cannot stop laughing. But no, not mm. in a good way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, there have been times where I was stifling chuckles at someone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you've never been guy... blown away no. by a karaoke no. performance and just no, stood no. on no. your hands. and. I've never been to the karaoke and... regionals like in that movie duets. No, I've, I've never, <laughs> never, never. We laugh, but that's like I'll... half a reality TV right now. Yeah. Also, I have to say, I was not laughing at the guy's singing ability. He actually sang really well. It was just the idea that I'm in the middle of fucking Ireland and this old dude who looks like he should be carrying a sheep is singing Rhinestone Cowboy. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I just <laughs> something it just all hit me at once and I started laughing and I felt bad. Oh. He sang lovely though. Oh, crossroads, anyway. ladies and gentlemen. Crossroads. It was a heavy accent though, right? Uh, like a rhinestone cowboy. You hear the R's, and I was like, "This is I so know, weird." I know it's it's it like this is just like in the movies. I remember I was at the House of Blues in Orlando, and just a Japanese guy gets up and like, "I didn't think this was a real thing that could happen. This is hysterical." Everyone's like, "Shut up!" He's, I'm like, "You're right. I'll leave. I, I'll go outside for a little bit." Yeah, um, do it is doing better yeah. than I would do. I know, but it was just it was too funny. Man, speaking of. Movies that uh, are funny. This is not one of them, except except that well, it's like it's like a certain kind of bad, well-intentioned film. Sean Hatasi, Eddie Griffin, Ray Liotta, Kimberly Elise, and he uh James Woods, Robert Duvall, and Denzel Washington, who will not get out of our episodes lately. This is number no, one in the box uh, office. Was so close to being a, a full all three. Oh, but we're coast off to coast by champ? one. We're off by one week. Damn it. Also, congratulations. Denzel just got nominated for an Oscar in five decades now. Wow. 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 Holy shit. It... Not for this movie, though. No, no. This movie but is he not good. Tries. He, he tries. He does. He's the, the only reason this is number one is not because I think America is ready to care about the subject matter. I think it's just because Denzel's here. John Q, ladies and gentlemen. John Q. John Q, always played by the rules. Mike's heart is useless. He's going to need a transplant or he's going to die. Your insurance does not cover this. Until the day he was forced. Please. I'm sorry. To change the rules. Do something. Denzel Washington. Hospital's under new management now. Free health care for everybody. This is going to end up bad for you, John. John Q, rated PG-13. Trust me, if you are... (laughs) a long-time listener, and into the behind-the-scenes about my recent uh, appendix explosion. There's nothing I want to talk about more than the immorality of for-profit healthcare and mm. see a movie that reflects that. Even at its most legitimate, is a massive scam on 50 million Americans. I did everything right. I paid astronomically through the nose. I could never get coverage. And I owe more money than I'll probably ever see because the system is broken and bad. Mm. And 20 years ago, we make a movie out of it where a guy becomes a hero where he starts taking hostages in a hospital to get his son the heart transplant his insurance refuses to cover. But it ultimately is a very silly movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's two movies. Yeah. Because there's the hostage movie and then there's the, you know, struggling dad fighting the system movie, which... Yeah, just feels so real and so painful. There's so much you filled out the wrong form. No, you needed to not file an appeal. You needed to file a grievance form over here. And mm-hmm. like, oh, well, this is the maximum. And oh, your your insurance is different because you're part-time now, but you're only part-time because we cut your hours because we don't have any money because you work in manufacturing. And you have to put a deposit down on your kid's life. And oh, just all of the... Oh, the Kafka-esque levels of bureaucracy involved just to fuck people. I can't can't imagine I'm not going to get preachy during this, but this is... I don't think it should be everyone's number one political goal, which is a nationalized healthcare system, but I know two people now in my life who have to not work to Mm. qualify for Medicaid or Medicare. Otherwise, healthcare is not possible for children Mm -hmm. and adults. They have to not work, so can never aspire to anything really in order to qualify for government assistance to pay for fake costs. For mm-hmm. <laughs> do you in most towns you live in, there are no bigger buildings than fucking hospitals. They have 
plenty of money. It's just it's just so unbelievable. And I I'm I'm currently being dragged over the coals for it right now. My I this when did this happen? Like October, November? The bills mm-hmm. have never stopped coming from new places for new amounts. They just like I paid thousands of dollars a year for insurance out of pocket. And so did Denzel. I, I wanted to see, I saw his frustration and I feel like the whole movie ends with a giant kind of plop. Like it, I, th- I thought it was going to end with like a, the town gets together and invents go fund me, which is not a good story that we need to stop looking at as good stories. When the public has to get together to raise tens of thousands of dollars for a life-saving procedure for somebody. Yeah. And they have that in this movie, his church gives him money. He's literally selling off everything yeah. they own trying to scrape the money together and yeah i mean it does not pull any punches in just saying um insurance is bullshit our system is absolutely terrible and it exists to kill poor people yes and i love that they that is that never, is said by uh they never do a counter argument a lot of those a lot of those lines are delivered by e from from entourage <laughs> oh. <laughs> could, could this movie have had more power if it wasn't also that hostage taking movie I don't know because there's like so many characters in this movie and then everyone is revealed to not be a bad, like all the villainous nature of all of them disappears. Yeah. And, and and it feels like, did I miss half this movie? Everybody mm-hmm. all of a sudden is on everyone's side, even the hostage negotiator, even the evil captain is on the side yeah. of Denzel and we get, we, we get our heart operation because like there was a real, the script had some darkness at the end. He's like, mm-hmm. I got an idea. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm Denzel. And if he needs a heart, I'll give him my heart. I will kill myself in this hospital if you mm-hmm. take my heart out and give it to my son. And like, ooh, this could be cool. Yeah. <laughs> this could be an interesting story. And like, really, almost gets there. But I, I thought this was dull and terrible on on a, well, a subject matter I care about deeply. Yeah, I mean, I ended up finding it like pretty watchable, and I definitely agree with it. Mm-hmm. A lot of my complaints uh, are very technical this movie knows nothing about hostage situations or hospital procedure (laughs) hospitals or how transplants work like you can't just do them because you have a surgeon the 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 line you'll give him you'll give my eight-year-old boy my heart he's like but we don't know if it'll transfer doc you said his heart was three times too big my heart will work perfectly. He's like, you're right. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? Okay. okay, we'll just do that right now. That's a hell of a guesstimation. So, oh, you don't have a heart-lung bypass here. You have like two ER nurses to help you. You don't have, you don't even have ice. You don't have nothing. You have, you're just going to die. You have an evil wife beater who is referred to by Eddie Griffin as Captain Slapaho, which is the only <laughs> evil laugh I got out of this film. Um, <laughs> it's... it's it was oh, just just an utterly horribly dated form of comic relief in this very yeah. tense situation. And yeah, this whole thing about like, no, um, you guys, I'll give you a hostage if you bring my son down. And they're like, okay, oh my god. But I I do have to point out, so I'll feel like a dick if I don't. How distracted I was by Robert Duvall's character name. Oh, what was it? Lieutenant Frank Grimes. Oh, right. <laughs> it's five years since The Simpsons, you bastards. How does he keep getting away with it? Uh, Many times, Tenzel was like, "I want to talk to Frank Grimes." Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this movie is not good. Can't recommend, but recommend you no longer support politicians who don't have a plan for single payer health care or nationwide mm-hmm. health care uh, or health care reform or the end of for profit health care. We Just had an option. we had two presidential candidates who didn't support that in the last election, and that can't happen again. But it almost certainly will. It almost certainly mm-hmm. will. Yeah, I'm one of 50 million Americans, and I work and pay into a legitimate healthcare program and got 
fucked beyond belief for doing the right thing. And thank God I can live. But like, it's just one of those things when I tell my parents about it, because they worked at the state for so long, they have great, they have always had a great health care. And they don't know what it's, they, even they don't know what it's like until I tell them like, no, this is what it's like for me as an independent business person. Uh, and this is what it's like for everywhere you've bought food. Every one of these people is either dealing with this or something worse. And uh, it, it's, and it's terrible and it, it needs to end. And, and I just, I love explaining it because then our foreign listeners come to the table and they're just like, what? You do what? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's insane to think about. Yeah. Here we, here we are. It just, it, Little kid heart problems. Like, I, I just, if you want to see a better video on it, like Jimmy Kimmel, I didn't think I, I'd fall in love with Jimmy Kimmel as a talk show host because he cried so much. But, like, when his kid is born with heart defects and goes on, like, a, a, just a 20 minute crying, like, this is what we had to do. And I have great health insurance and I'm rich. And this is how hard it still was to, to have my kids survive. I can't imagine what it'd be like for other kids. And he held every. Tried to hold politicians' feet to the fire. They used them. They lied, and they cut even more money out of our healthcare budgets. Um, it's awful. Yeah, and we're all dependent on generous, uh, generous friends and millionaires to help us live like a normal society in terms of our healthcare. So I recommend looking into more of that than watching John Q, <laughs> especially going to our Patreon and helping me figure out how I'm supposed to pay back twenty thousand dollars for a twenty minute life-saving routine procedure when I pay thousands of dollars a year out of pocket for insurance from a legitimate place with a blue right. and a cross in the name. And the insurance, mm-hmm. I'm guessing you get the kind that's like only for when something really bad happens. I mean, that's the only reason I had it. Well, because it didn't cover yeah. anything fucking else. It, yeah. <laughs> it didn't cover it. it got, everything else was out of area. Oh, they're not seeing new patients right now. I just got off it, but like... This is, it has the word blue or cross or shield in the name, and it's like all we have access to. And since Obamacare has come up, a bunch of for-profit horseshit has also reared its ugly head. And uh, people are about, even if you think you're not going to get screwed, you're probably on the verge, the more greedy these companies get, uh, where it's about to affect everybody. And uh, it just happened to me. And uh, I, I just couldn't believe it. I was better off not having insurance because you just get bankrupted all the same. All the same. Now I don't qualify for government assistance because I bothered to have a job and paid into the system in the first place. It's a scam, I tell you. But we can fix it. And it's not like every other country in the world doesn't give us a model. It's just greedy people, lobbyists, <laughs> and Republicans. So, yes, keep an, keep an eye on that. Tell your parents this is an evil system. And John Q. John Q. will probably help your parents understand a little more. But then they'll forget by the time they vote. Uh, (laughs) Moving on to television 2002, February 11th through the 17th. A lot of great episodes of television, notable episodes of television Mm -hmm. occurring here. Uh, Starting with Futurama, Leela's Homeworld, where she finally meets her parents. And I I was just sort of shocked that it wasn't something I thought I cared about. But then, like, Matt Groening and, and David X. Cohen had a plan for this from the beginning and just held off for a long time. Telling us about Leela's lineage. Leela's orphan nature was a key to her personality from the very first episode. And then we're shown the orphanarium later on. And then we're shown a guy who pretends to be uh, a member of her alien species. And it turns out not to be. So there's an arc to this. This Mm -hmm. is not a one and done thing. This has been explored over multiple episodes. And it ends with that classic Futurama heart. You know, you got to give Matt Groening credit because he does have heart to these episodes. Yeah, and it's not something The Simpsons did very often, just airing concurrently. Futurama is always good about that. And then on the the same week... 
is this a, a positive episode with John Stossel? The only thing I've watched with John Stossel is that wrestler hitting him in the head three times uh, after he calls the business fake. But this is the in-crowd and social cruelty with John Stossel. Friday, everyone wants to be popular. Admit it, you do too. But how far would you go to run with the in-crowd? Does bullying help? Money? Looks? Friday, John Stossel answers the burning question. What's it take to be in the in-crowd? Friday. So I, I watched. Wait, you figured this. this out twenty years ago, and no one told me. Come on. <laughs> I I watched this, and this oh my is God. like the last point in history when you could explore the topic of bullying right. and popularity with zero internet. Yeah, the no internet social media. Is not mentioned a single moment in this, which was my experience growing up, of course, and mm. brings up some interesting interviews. You have some bullies interviewed and talking with pride about bullying, about how much joy they get from bullying. Uh, they have sociological studies showing that middle school is the freaking worst oh, yeah. bullying. Yes. Which, well, for me. No surprise there. And it talks about how the people most at risk are the bottom 20% of popularity. The most unpopular 20% are at risk throughout high school of every negative thing. You I think, can think that of. means our podcast. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Even though the promos show so much dancing for 2002, I'm pretty sure if you had a solution, it just would have been free ecstasy for your friends. You'll be popular instantly. <laughs> Start by having rich parents. Get a Nintendo before everyone else. Buy everyone ecstasy. Pizza parties are also nice. All things being, that don't work on social media. Being physically fit in this examination was shown to have a huge impact on your popularity throughout grade school. I um, will huh. say if you couple that with being too tall, it will not help you. And people yeah. will take delight in hitting you in the face and watching you not doing anything. But yeah, yeah uh, I I had a neighbor whose child killed themselves yeah. due to bullying. Oh, and no. uh, I got to say, when, when you encounter that, even secondhand, it is just like a incredibly scary thing that you are going to be thinking about for the rest of your kid's childhood. Yeah. I mean, there's mm. no way to not be deeply deeply concerned I, the, after something like that happens the only this is one of the reasons why i'm not a parent is because mm. if my kid got bullied i would straight up murder their bully yeah it's entirely possible i would just lose my shit and beat like a six-year-old to death yeah or we, we just watching with the someone... flashbacks would come and i would just boom go crazy well yeah, but i also again I, I all of my friends kids i think we might Get that out of their system. At side. Kids can always be cruel and weird, but like they're not as shitty as they were. Is even when I was a kid, they're definitely not as shitty as they were when my dad was a kid. I don't know, Jr. Do you not agree? I think kids are. I, I don't really nicer. agree with that. No, no. no I think you uh, have kids, so you would. You, yeah, you should be yeah, more. There's a lot this. of shitty behavior, and it's it's still going on. I think we're a little more aware of it, mm -hmm. but it, it's it's a bit of an arms race because any anti-bullying measure you put in mind the bullies in this special talk about how much they enjoy bullying so for mm -hmm. them it's like if you put a porn filter on your kid's computer the kid is going to try to find ways around that filter likewise bullies will try to find a way around anti-bullying measures frequently mm -hmm. by making it appear as if the other kid is the one at fault and they are blameless mm -hmm. yeah i just, mm -hmm. I just see younger kids like just ready to ostracize shitty people and i just hope that's happening in larger waves than it did when i was a kid because lord I, knows yeah i mean they literally never talked about bullying as an issue when i was a kid mm. and so you learn pretty fast that if you go to an authority figure you've just made it worse mm. 
Yeah, they, they, they would tell and you that. We tried to get them in trouble, which they consider an act of aggression. That was that was so I'm just trying to defend myself. Frustrating because the authority figure would tell you <sighs> that, like you telling me is going to make this this worse. And like, what am I supposed to do? Fight him? Yeah. Is this what you're telling me? And I think uh-huh. they were him or her. And I was bullied yeah, by both. Yeah, I'm not going to tell my kids this. Um, so kids, uh, if you're listening, daddy's being an actor right now. But the biggest success I ever had in bullying was when I just clobbered them and just went full on rage mode, beat them up until I'm bloody and they're bloody. I think, I think once I really did grow into myself, turning around and like threatening to fight back, not even fighting back, threatening to mm-hmm. fight back, like it did stop. Well, that's the thing. Once I got in a couple of fist fights, there was a breather for a while because it was like the cost risk benefit analysis changed. Yeah. And then eventually they forgot and then another issue and then the reminder and so on and so forth. You're not guaranteed to get out of this unscathed. Therefore, you know, roll the dice if you fuck with me. Howdy. Yeah. (laughs) Holy shit. That seems to work really well for guys. I don't know what works for girls because it's a lot less physical aggression and a lot more social aggression. It's one of my, I think there's fewer things that are more overrated than the Cobra Kai show. But uh, <laughs> uh, Daniel's son's daughter screaming. I'm like, Dad, I can't beat up my bully. No, gr- no girl becomes more <laughs> liked for beating up somebody. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> what did Elaine say? Well, just tease her till she gets an eating disorder. Anyway, uh, it's all comedy from here. Steve Harvey show ends. That's so he can start 16 other shows. Uh, this is such a generic sitcom. Oh, yeah. I yeah. I tried watching it and I couldn't get through one episode. I, I'm not a Steve Harvey hater, but I wouldn't watch this if it played for free on the inside of my eyelids. Special Unit Two ends as well. This is an X Files ripoff. There's a uh, secret ooh. organization. There's missing links, which are dinosaurs or maybe something else. Very formulaic and very cheesy. And one of my favorite shows that gets left out a lot when talking about mm-hmm. the history of television has a very weird ending this week because it airs three final episodes three years after that season has begun. Dr. Katz. Yeah, Dr. Katz ends. In 2002, with three episodes that the Comedy Central teases the final three, but at this point, Comedy Central's first animated, original animated program before South Park, and they had enough episodes to play it every day, almost 100, because if you haven't seen Squiggle Vision, it was very, very cheap, and the concept <laughs> was so brilliant, beautiful, and easy, created by, I think, Tom Snyder and Jonathan Katz, but produced by a very young Laurent Bouchard, who... who created Bob's Burgers and home movies afterwards. So the style of the dialogue, the improvisational dialogue began in Dr. Katz and, and when it's where Bob's Burgers comes from, including John Benjamin. But I love Dr. Katz because the premise was simple, very cheaply animated. They called it squiggle vision. It's awful. The mouths <laughs> yeah. barely open and just the frames sort of move around. There is absolutely no reason you can't listen to this as if it was yes. a radio program. And it's all, a radio show. All it's it is is stand-up comedians telling jokes, but not on a stage, on a psychiatrist's couch. And Jonathan Katz plays the therapist who just listens to them and occasionally interject. And in this last episode, he has Conan O'Brien on. Conan O'Brien is his patient, the actual Conan O'Brien. And he notices Conan O'Brien starts stealing his jokes and using them on television. <laughs> so this is Dr. Katz talking to his uh, son, Ben, who's in his late 20s and still lives with him. It's 
his best friend is his dad. And it's, it's John Benjamin, who's Bob on Bob's Burgers, and you can hear how much younger he is 20 years ago. So I'm talking to uh, Stanley and Julie, and the TV's on in the background. Sure enough, there is Conan O'Brien doing a joke that I made in session with him. Really? Verbatim. So he did a joke you told to him in the session? Yeah. How come you were telling jokes to people? That's a whole other <laughs> issue. Are you sure you're not mistaken that maybe he just did the setup and... No, Ben... I, I think you should be happy. Well, if I was a professional joke writer and I had submitted the joke to him, I'd be happy. Oh, you want to get paid. It's not the money. It's a recognition because besides you, I can't tell anybody. And I want to tell everybody. And, you know, I'll tell you, society has gotten to a point where you can't just tell a joke and just be friendly about it. Everything has to be bought and sold. You cannot copyright a joke, but once he does it on national television, I can't do it in therapy with anyone else. Do you repeat material you use to other patients? <laughs> well, look, certain phrases come up like, let's explore that. Right. You know, but that's not so funny. Not funny at all. No. Hey, Dad, what if you were um, Columbus's therapist? Oh, let's explore that? Yeah. Uh, that's funny. You could take that joke. I don't care. It's yours. Let's just enjoy. <laughs> it's... it's... <laughs> yeah. This is improv comedy, but they always had a set end. So the people are riffing off of each other, but they're supposed to get to an end set point. And I was listening to an interview with the real John Katz, and he said that, you know, he's playing a therapist to these comedians. Mm -hmm. And in his entire run of the series, he said one comedian said this felt like a therapy session that made me feel better. And then another comedian he made cry by wow. <laughs> as a therapist he made the other comedian cry so it, it, that's it, but that's the beauty of like jonathan katz I, I believe he got diagnosed with ms so he kind of dialed a lot of his career back i've seen him live he's wonderful to see live he'll sometimes bring his bass out but he has played a psychiatrist because of this this classic cable show he's he's on south park squidbillies space ghost sitcoms jonathan cast <laughs> has forever played therapist because of the legacy of this program and it is practically non-existent now even though it, most of it is on youtube but like every comedian you've ever loved Whoopi goldberg is also on this episode hilarious um apologies to any of our jewish listeners and hosts who are mad at her right now um, no none of the jews are mad at her now <laughs> it was never about that she apologized and it was a good apology yeah, i know I know. no one i've never seen a jewish person be like oh she needs to get off the air right now but uh but dr katz was great and i just little take my advice do what i say i the DVDs are, think, I think, out of print, and I was strolling around to Big Lots uh, several months ago and found full season sets for like $2 sealed and with all the special features. So, booyah. Dr. Katz, like JR said, yeah. they're great podcasts and fucking hysterical. Like, god damn, Dom Irera and Ray Romano on these shows before they were like... Ray Romano, before he got a sitcom... This is what he was famous for. My dad could not, didn't even know his name and was like, that guy is fucking amazing. Put that cookie down. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I am not okay with the Laura Silverman erasure on this podcast. Yeah, Laura Silverman. Yeah, still on Bob's Burgers. Oh, is she? Yes. That's right. She's with with her sister. Um, My favorite characters possibly ever. I love that. I've never heard a hotter, uglier animated character than uh, (laughs) Dr. Cat's receptionist and Laura Silverman. Her voice is amazing. Uh, but a wonderful show I'd like people not to forget about. On the An animated show that's similar, but was definitely not forgotten about, but very close. It's so crazy to say. Family Guy ends this week. And I... I, I, I never thought... It, it had 20 seasons. 
more than more than that, I had it on. I was at my parents' house. They have a ridiculous cable package, and I'm like, oh, I'll just put that on. And I guess my mother had never heard of it. And they said so many things. She wandered around repeating like she had been traumatized. <laughs> you pee in a condom and freeze it and then use it like your little friend. Oh, this is like, mom, that was an hour ago. Move on. But no, she can't. Yeah, Family Guy ended because of lack of popularity. And I, I don't know that I could tell you I loved Family Guy. I loved animation and all the animation Fox had on. And they had so much of it, they would start it on Sundays at 7 and then created an infrequent block on Thursdays where I, would, I remember I'd go to my friend's mm. house and drink and you never know what show they would play, but it could be the PJs, King of the Hill, Simpsons, Family Guy, Futurama, any of those in any order. And I was just, this is bliss. These are the best shows on television and they really fucked with Family Guy throughout all this mm-hmm. period. I also feel like Get a Life, it was to Adult Swim before yeah. Adult Swim had yeah. such a popularity. I remember Family Guy first premiering and everyone going, what the hell is this? Yeah. You know, we watched it all the time, but it was bizarre. It was unlike any animation. It was not like The Simpsons at all. Mm-hmm. It was its own thing. And it was a niche, niche market. Yeah, okay. whatever, whatever it, year it, it came out, not... it, it premiered after the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, and everyone watched it, but then its ratings went down and down and down because it was not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until DVD sales came out that it was like, it's not for everyone, but the people who love it really, really, really it. love it. And I, mm-hmm. I definitely bought those DVDs, and I, I didn't realize the DVDs came out the same week. Adult Swim, and like a steal, like creates... The Adult Swim block is barely forming and yep. realizes they can get huge budget animated programs that Fox is just throwing away. We don't care well, about it, these. Fox tried to pit this against people it yeah. had no business being pitted against. Friends, Frasier, Survivor. after the Super Bowl, yeah. huge viewers. Then it was pitted against Frasier. Then <laughs> it was pitted against Who Wants to Be a ma- Millionaire. Yes. Then <laughs> it was pitted against Friends. And then it was pitted against Survivor. If you are oh. actively trying to like pick the highest rated shows to put this little niche thing up against i don't know how you could have done a better lineup than that yeah i can understand fraser as counter programming Mm -hmm. but the rest of those that is you are trying to kill yeah the people who watch your sacrifice you have to air something the people who watch tv now there's no streaming you are killing this show because the majority of people are not here i've never been a family guy hater i'm not one of those people but I, i also remember like I was buying the DVDs and watching the DVDs, and then I, you know, was in college and a little older than some of the college kids. Like my favorite show was Family Guy. I'm like, favorite show? That's impossible. But it, it, you, you could see it gaining this ground. I would work with the film school. I'm like, there are so many Family jo- Guy jokes in here. If your teachers were younger, you would be in trouble. <laughs> but Family Guy, it, it comes to Adult Swim, and instantly Adult Swim's ratings. I think at the time, speaking of Jimmy Kimmel, started beating Jimmy Kimmel like a brand new talk show. A canceled animated show is now beating him in his time slot. And the saddest thing that happened last year, and this is also kind of funny, the new owners of Family Guy, Disney, (laughs) Disney ripped Family Guy away from Adult Swim, where it's been for 20 years, where Adult Swim were were the people who like, this show's so popular, we're going to restart it and make new episodes. And Fox is like, well, we actually have first rights to do that, and we're stealing that from you. But you can keep syndicating uh, it. There's no way it's ever going to be on Disney+. Plus. It'll be on, I think, Freeform and on syndicated markets and on network television where the bigger money is for some reason still so but yeah only on disney owned channels which are almost half at this point but you know it remains on just i'm looking at what like when it originally aired and what 
the viewership was like. Oh, and it's God. nuts that 20 <laughs> years later, it's about where it was. It's about where it was when it got canceled. Yeah. It's a little, actually a little bit lower. Yeah. But, but... then for, for comparison's sake, they had four and a half million viewers when they got canceled in 2002. Now they have about two million viewers every week last season and that's what that skill considered really good though they yes. lost half of the market but the market has become so gigantic that they're like yeah no nah, not a problem but that's yeah, you got to factor right. in your hulu's there like that's that's also mm-hmm. going on you can watch it i i tend to forget family guy exists now because i don't have adult swim and it's not on adult swim it's amazing mm-hmm. to me that not just that it came back but that it stayed back yeah like you think they bring it back and it'd be like three or four years and i'd be like wow that was really cool that they brought that back no 20 20 years there have been other canceled shows that came back but this is by far the most successful yeah right yeah i would i would think so because seth MacFarlane is like the norman lear of our generation he's the highest paid man in television it not only came back he got three similar shows on the same network Mm -hmm. at the same time for his troubles yeah, where it's like all said and done, it was gone for like two and a half, it, three-ish years. It felt like forever when I was younger, but yeah. yeah but it, was, it seemed like it was going on forever. Like yeah, South yeah. Park just I, aired its first episode in two and a half years. So it, it that didn't feel like anything for me. <laughs> but uh, Family Guy actually has its own explanation why it was canceled. And I, I, it's one of the things I love about Family Guy because they still get away with fucking murder. But they make jokes about it. I'm like, yeah, we're probably not going to be joking about that anymore. But uh, joking about their own cancellation, by that I mean actual cancellation, not like ethereal fox news <laughs> ungraspable cancellation you couldn't put a show like this on the air anymore I, yeah you do i i kept i had to keep reminding my mom like why how how is this on the air now at like six o'clock i'm like i think it's animated it gets away with so much more than a non-animated show would uh because we all know it's they're joking it's not real Everybody, I got bad news. We've been canceled. Oh, no. Peter, how could they do that? Well, unfortunately, Lois, there's just no more room on the schedule. We've just got to accept the fact that Fox has to make room for terrific shows like Dark Angel, Titus, Undeclared, Action, That 80 Show, Wonder Falls, Fast Lane, Andy Richter Controls the Universe, Skin, Girls Club, Cracking Up, The Pits, Firefly, Get Real, Freaky Links, Wanda at Large, Costello... (laughs) The Lone Gunman, A Minute with Stan Hooper, Normal Ohio, Pasadena, Harsh Realm, Keen Eddie, The Street, American Embassy, Cedric the Entertainer, The Tick, Louie, and Greg the Bunny. Is there no hope? Well, I suppose if all those shows go down the tubes, we might have a shot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh my God. I forgot how... And again, if if we need to contextualize... I would say... 35% 35% of those shows are amazing and should never have been. Some of them I've never heard of. I, okay, there's a couple. It's, I've, heard, I've heard good things about Wonderfalls. And Andy Richter <laughs> controls the universe. Oh, so good. Yep. Firefly, it's hard to talk about now. Um, yeah. Firefly ran for like 11 episodes, and I think you can make a legitimate case that at least two of those belong on the top 10 sci-fi episodes of all time. Yeah. So whatever Ooh. else. You've got to give it some credit for that. Yeah. yeah I wonder if we're going to talk about any of those coming up in the later TV seasons. <laughs> uh-huh. Moving in really quickly to games, video games of 2002, 20 years ago, February 11th to the 17th, Sonic Adventure 2 Battle on GameCube. See, JR was right. The Sonic Advance was first. Here's Sonic yep. Adventure 2. And uh, uh, yeah, this is 
Sonic 3D, which has a huge problem in yep. that it's so ridiculously easier to make large amounts of 2D content than it is 3D content for a video game. And Sonic's whole thing is that he's running fast. So if you want to make a long 2D level, you're, you can whip that out. If you want to make a long 3D level, which you're running through very fast, you're going to run out of your budget in like six levels you know mm. and that's why sonic had such a hard transition to 3d but i played the first couple levels of this and it's awesome i i can't speak wow. to how it would play in 2000 san francisco level it's more the, yeah, the, the san francisco level you do have to was. spend a lot of times fishing as a fat cat and digging around as knuckles which is I'd rather die. They're some of the worst levels that, <laughs> that have ever been made. I didn't get that far. Uh, I, I just played the San Francisco level and I was blown away, but I understand there's a lot of problems with it later on. I mean, that's a Sonic's opening level. God, they're usually like his hallmark. The opening levels are amazing. You're either running underneath a whale or running away from a truck, San Francisco. It's beautiful. Star Wars uh, Racer Revenge, that's out on PS2. And this little joke I wanted to make on the 12th Peter Pan's Adventure in Neverland on PS1 came out. Game licenses come and go, and especially ones licensed after movies none of us remember. This was available in the PSN store up until like a few years ago, and I bought it <laughs> and played it on, on PSN. Like, let's just, there seems to be some fun. The user reviews are surprisingly good. It sucks, but you know, if you're a kid and like the Peter Pan sequel, here you go, and it's still it's available. It's a platformer where you fly. Yeah, I don't get that. Yeah, uh... it's like a platform with no gravity. Ooh, a little bit of competition. Pirates: The Legend of Black Cat is also on PS2 and Xbox this week. Two ways to get your pirates fix. But we're gonna close out 2002 with "I'm Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman" by Britney Spears. Is that from this movie, or was it like on yep. the soundtrack? Huh. Oh, it is a plot point. It's all about, it's a poem that she wrote. And then Anson Mount, who eventually was on Hell on Wheels, is like, I found that poem you wrote and I wrote a song to go with the poem. And she's like, this really speaks to me. I'm going to sing this on a cliff with <laughs> the lowest rider. Like, I actually like low rise jeans, but this movie reminded me very strongly that there is such a thing as too low low rise jeans. No, I don't think so. They low are so low. If, you're, if your hip bones are sticking out, and mm -hmm. you got to like trim your pubes back even more because of where your pants are. <laughs> yeah. It's you all just have permanent plumber butt. It's all <laughs> worth it for the coin slot though. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I realize now, 20 years later, I really missed my calling. I could have been the ass crack bandit then, and no one would suspect <laughs> me because everyone's pants are that low. <laughs> we'll close out. And everyone just, they get mad at, you know, oh, those gangster rappers, pull up your pants. Uh, yeah, no one ever said that to Britney Spears. <laughs> Sexism. All right, Britney, take us out. But stay right there, everyone. We got one more segment left, and you're not going to want to miss it. I'm not a girl. Mr. And Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner, where we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of February 11th through 17th, 
let's just get to it. Why do I even say like, oh, yeah, so we'll just get to it. 40 years ago this week, 1982, saw the release of One from the Heart, the musical directed by Francis Ford Coppola, which was considered a massive failure at the time. And now some people reappraise. I'll admit it's one of the Coppola movies I still haven't seen. So I don't know, but it's got people I like in it. Terry Gar, Carol Julia, always happy to see them. Uh, same week is the movie Missing, directed by Costa Gravis, starring Jack Lemmon and Sissy Spacek. I'm shocked to find out that I can't find this streaming anywhere because it was a big hit. It uh, jointly won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival that year. It's about uh, his parents who go to Chile in the aftermath of the coup in 1973 against Allende that put Pinochet into power and uh, trying to find their son who's been disappeared apparently by the government. I think I caught it maybe on Turner Classic Movies once and I thought it was outstanding. So missing from 1982. If you can find it, that that's a recommend this week. And then I couldn't, as usual, something we watch this week makes me want to watch something else. So John Q made me really want to watch two other movies that I like much better that are similar because it's got Denzel. Let's mention Inside Man from, was that 2006? Uh, yeah, we covered that pretty early on on the run of the show. Inside Man, if you have not seen it, is a really good robbery movie with a real good standoff stuff directed by Spike Lee. Tons of people in it. It's, it's just incredibly watchable. And of course, we can't talk hostages or robberies without Dog Day Afternoon, 1975, directed by Sidney Lumet, Al Pacino, John Cazell, Charles Durning. Just perfection. Just perfection. That movie, I, it's one that, yeah, anywhere in the movie, if it's playing, I will stop and watch it, especially if Chris Sarandon is on screen, because he's fun. And 1975, a character who's trans that movie's actually kind of nice to. That's very, very rare. Turns out uh, Dog Day and Inside Man, both on HBO right now. If you haven't seen either one of them, do yourself a favor. They're both just real twisty, turny, edge-of-your-seat stuff done perfectly. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. Ears do not deceive you. We are coming in with I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston because it is back on the charts after 20 years. Hooray! Sort of. Sort of. You know there's not a good reason for that. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. New releases for music this week also include Tramp by Sharon Van Eaton. Etten. Uh, our version of Events by Emil Sande. Scars and Stories by The Fray. Paralytic Stocks by Of Montreal. And Set Fire to the Rain by Adele is still number one. Pretty sure I pronounced half those musicians correctly. The news of this week couldn't be bigger and more awful. Uh, Whitney Houston, 48, found dead in a bathtub at uh, the Beverly Hilton. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, don't do cocaine. I know. Still doesn't uh, explain why you'd fall asleep in a bathtub. So <laughs> well, when you're you... on a lot of cocaine, mm -hmm. and you've been doing cocaine for a long time, and you're mm -hmm. also on a bunch of prescription drugs. There you go. Like... Xanax and Flexoril that are downers, mm -hmm. um, your heart will give out. That's going to happen. That can happen if you have a perfectly normal heart, which she yep. had. You have a perfectly normal heart and take cocaine, you can absolutely have a heart attack. If you have just taken cocaine, then in the next 60 minutes, your odds of a heart attack increased by 2,400%. It was 
that was rough. And it's it, like it, she's it, in town for the Grammys, and there's a bunch of Grammy parties that she was, yeah. you know, acting a little weird at. You know, she hung out with Brandy and with Monica, and people said she was seemed a little off. But you know, she had been to rehab six months before mm-hmm. and seemed to be doing better. And then she was acting a little off, and then yeah, it's something I I don't. I, I, I guess maybe her like her professional day glory days may have been a little behind her but she still well, her, she ruined her voice she yeah. was always known for her amazing voice mm-hmm. and by 2012 that voice was not the voice it was from the 1980s it had been really severely damaged by drugs and alcohol and when she was trying to tour they were saying you can't do this you can't sing the way you could that your audience wants you to sing and that it, really devastated there, there needs to be some kind of definitive documentary or documentary series because i can't think of someone this beautiful and talented and successful just to kind of degrade behind the scenes in a way that like we sort of knew because there was a reality mm-hmm. show and some tabloid stuff there but it's still kind of even now difficult to wrap my amy winehouse was sort of forecasting what was going to happen to her where i don't think anybody would have seen this happen to whitney houston in her heyday it just feels all the more strange and tragic and can't all be blamed on bobby brown uh but (laughs) but this is i don't know this still happens but the where were you when you found out thing like i just remember like gas being heard around the office when this shit happened you, you might you probably remember where you were when you found out. Yeah, really tragic. And there's some extra tragedy, which is going to come up in three years with oh, her God. daughter. Oh. The really tragic thing is they were in a reality TV show, Being Bobby Brown, where you can see them being visibly intoxicated around their daughter and probably imparting some unintentional role modeling yeah. uh, that is going to be casual very... endorsements of bad behavior tough to think about but movie <laughs> the movies must go on safe houses no more to the box office the 11th to the 17th of feb 2012 coriolanus with ray fines gerard butler and brian brian cox here you are brian again cox is back and we have another directorial debut this mm-hmm. is ray fines directorial debut oh. doing uh one of the less popular shakespeare plays but still it's a getting mm. and he makes it it's good i mean it's a good film version of this it's it sort of modernizes it kind of makes it eastern european but it's i mean it's originally about like rome and stuff it's very much a place called rome it's meant Mm. to invoke not the rome but a place called rome a feeling of the roman republic because this is taking place not in the age of caesar not in the age of augustus not in the age of most of the romans our listeners have heard of but in the early days of the roman republic uh, a Mm. time when other than niche historians most people don't know a lot about and it deals with the drama of democracy and as such it's a very rare shakespeare play that doesn't deal with aristocrats, but with republicanism. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Uh, and and you know, it, is democracy good? Uh, does power corrupt when you have like a regular guy who gets elevated to this position? Is he going to start betraying people? Is he going to go mad with power? Oh, who can you trust? Oh. As far as I can tell, I think this is the only film version of this play. I, there's a TV adaptions, yeah, but it doesn't appear in my search that there were any other like real motion picture versions of this play of Shakespeare. I don't think so. so I, if, yeah, if you're looking to do the entire Shakespeare canon, this is pretty much your only option for this one. Um, yeah, 
It's it's interesting though because I honestly don't think Shakespeare would be like, oh, you're still playing that play? Really? <laughs> I've got a lot of other better plays you could be doing. Yeah, well, there's a lot of Shakespeare plays. It's like no one really does Two Gentlemen of Verona anymore. It's like they're okay. <laughs> they got good parts or, oh, that speech is good. But yeah, some of them are just sort of, yeah. yeah. Mm. No one's doing Timon of Athens as a big $100 million production. But yeah, Coriolanus, yeah, I thought it was pretty good, especially if you're just, yeah. I like when people modernize Shakespeare, but don't go to, they don't go like Romeo and Juliet with it. Even though that, like, well, if it helps you visually to understand what's happening, to put everyone in modern dress or to, you know, make it about World War Three or whatever. Yeah, do it. Go crazy. And yeah, well, you did a good job. Um, and, anyway. And then, Jesus, I, the, the Secret World of Arietti, one of the yeah, weirder... Geely actually films. a 2010 or 20 it's yeah 2010 movie it's like 18 months after the original release and I, I what i find fascinating no offense to the american voice cast of this ghibli movie which includes i think then married couple will arnett and amy poehler mm-hmm. but there's a it's based on a english story which had been adapted ghibli didn't normally ad- it had adapted things before, but like this was kind of even I knew what this was. There was a cartoon series, and there had been a John Goodman movie made in America, and then Miyazaki himself adapted the screenplay uh, into a story. And if you get the UK dubbing version, the kids are played by Saoirse Ronan and Tom Holland ten years mm-hmm. ago. Oh, wow. Olivia Coleman, Mark Strong, like the cast is like surprisingly more <laughs> uh, more impressive on the version most Americans didn't see. But yeah, I've actually never seen this one. Oh, it's uh, gorgeous! I it mean, is it's really good. Like I I jumped on this because you know I fucking hate anime except for Miyazaki, oh, yeah. and it turns out okay, I can expand that to except for Ghibli. Yeah, there you go. Miyazaki That's didn't direct this, but. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's it's got that Ghibli love of nature in every yes. shot. And um, I, I love little people, big world stuff. And I just, yeah. I, I don't know what's keeping me. And, uh, you know, they call themselves the borrowers. But I got to say, I was watching closely. They never returned anything. They are not borrowing Jack. Come on. All, all of my old, old thread spools are just your dinner set now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, they, but, and all that is really cool with like, you know, all of the little teeny things that they find around the house and they bring back into their little apartment in between the walls and stuff. It's one of my favorites because, uh, yeah, I just watched it as your only co-host to recently have watched Rescuers Down Under for no reason. I love <laughs> I love little animals repurposing our shit and making cool stuff out of it. Yeah, oh, uh, you, you definitely like it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's on, on Disney HBO, Plus. And HBO, it's on HBO Max. HBO Max. I would probably rather watch the British version because the American dub was fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Will Arnett and Amy Poehler don't sound a lot like themselves. They're like really doing characters, but I, I forgot. I think it's the guy from like Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Some <laughs> the, the kid who plays like the male lead sounds like he's supposed to be sick. Like he's a kid who's ha- is about to get oh, an operation. Oh, he's, he's got sick. Hollywood disease. That's he's the disease Hollywood. where you get a lot of pity. But you're never in any pain. You're never right. bitter about your illness. You're never angry that your illness. You just have to lay around a lot while everyone joyfully waits on you. That it, it, it's yeah. a great disease. I'm trying to catch it, but no luck so far. Yeah, I kind of thought maybe he's just like super hopped up on fentanyl or something because his delivery <laughs> is always like this. Oh, it's okay, little person. No, my problem is I'm sick. Maybe I'll die. It's like. Come on, you're acting. And so it's under a couple different titles, including just Arietti, Secret World of Arietti, or The Borrower Arietti, which is so 
freaking hard to say. <laughs> it is a rural, rural juror type. Juror. <laughs> it does, make, it does <laughs> make you sound drunk. Barrarietti. <laughs> yes, sir. We know, sir. The Barrarietti will yeah. we'll get you no, home. No, total recommend, no. For kids and adults, it was really good. Whew. Complete recommend. Um, and and uh, that's mo- the end of the recommends. <laughs> <laughs> but you, on Peacock, you could watch Chelsea Handler, Till Schweiger, Reese Witherspoon, Chris Pine, and Tom Hardy in This Means War. The CIA's best team is about to go to war. You are really beautiful. You know what? You're not going to like it. Well, then why don't you tell me what I want? With each other. Just let her decide. Done. This has been a perfect night. Make it rain. Really? War. Our war starts Valentine's Day. Ooh, trying to have it both ways. The guy and the girl will be happy this Valentine's Day if you pick this Yay. movie. Miss Diet Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my my favorite scene was when Captain Kirk harasses a girl at her workplace until <laughs> she agrees to give him a date. That yeah. is just stellar. We didn't know yeah. any other ways back then. It was only 10 years ago. No. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, there's so much of this. Is, it's so dumb. So yeah, Tom Hardy and Chris Pine are both in the CIA. They both start dating Reese Witherspoon. They both, <laughs> both do start dating Reese Witherspoon and then they start trying to sabotage each other. And it sucks. I mean, it's directed by Mick G. And I'm sure they did that. So it's like, look, it's a romance movie, but with action. And it's like, why Why are you failing at both, though? Like, I, Mick I, G, I'm expecting the action to at least be okay. I can't think well, of a director uh, with a worse track record than that dude, for fuck's sake. Oh, Bitten. my God. I don't know why Reese Witherspoon is here. She's better than this. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're all better than this. And the shocking thing to me is that this wasn't developed in the decade it came out. It wasn't developed in the decade before it came out. It was developed in the decade before the decade before it came out. Wow, that is some old (laughs) Hollywood shit. Uh, Just give us another 20 years. We're going to get it right. I'm going to put a 700 screenwriter on this. (laughs) Just make something else. 14 years to make this. Oh. Why? Why? I don't sunk cost fallacy. I don't know. Yeah, it's like all the characters are horrible and it's not even funny. Like it's supposed to be a comedy, like an action comedy is just like are there jokes? Not really. Um and yeah, they're treating Reese Witherspoon as a fucking object and everyone sucks. Like <laughs> I kind of want Till Schweiger to just assassinate everybody. Oh, I miss Till Schweiger. There were also Three different endings. Oh, that's not good. Like Clue? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In Wayne's World. No, okay. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Um, I do like... Yeah, uh, just, oh, it's so, so dumb. It's yeah. so dumb. I wonder if there's a riff tracks on this one that might make it worthwhile. And, and costly, even though it finished behind every movie we've talked about <laughs> last week and next, and the next movie we will talk about, which is not good either. I can't tell you how disappointed I was by... I always call them the crank guys. I don't even have their name written down. But Emeldine uh, and Taylor. Yep, I am with you. I have not seen a better combination of filmmakers and property before this. And how did this? It doesn't pay off. Crank one and two are just wonderful, seemingly inimitable film experiences. That if you haven't seen them, they're totally joyous. They're absolutely wonderful. I mean, the the prosumer angle, like the directors being out on roller skates filming things on like a pole f- filled with Best Buy prosumer cameras to get gritty, gritty shots. 
the first Ghost Rider was so boring, a total fucking mm. dud. Then they announced the crank guys are doing it, and we could not have been more on board. Yeah. Of- you know what? I just I saw Jr. shaking his head. He hasn't seen the crank movies. Mm. If you like Jackass, yeah, you will like the crank movies. I, it's been on my list for 20 years. I don't know why. <laughs> it's it's, it's just... so wonderful. Because they're so fucking ridiculous. Yeah, there's yeah, nothing else like them. Crazy. I, I like that. Um, just haven't gotten around to it. But I did find time to watch this one. I'm yeah. sorry. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I really, my life was not complete without seeing a skeleton piss fire. I, just, <laughs> I really needed that in my brain. There, there's but. one cool, only like a cool, because Nick Cage wasn't, really nick cage in the previous one so like we were promised the crank guys are gonna make nick cage go full nick cage along with violante placado placidio uh violante placido Placido. other than idris elba which is a great name and people forget he's one of the other few people with another shot in the marvel universe he's played two characters but doesn't really have a redemption one in Heindel because he's on screen very rarely murdered and he hasn't talked pleasantly about it. Yeah. Uh, oh, and uh, two people, our, our next two people, uh, one of them just got shafted on an Oscar nomination. One of them just got an Oscar nomination. So that's nice. Syrian Hines, is that how you say his or her name? Yep. We've just come up like the last couple weeks. Karen Hines keeps popping up. Karen Hines. And Nicolas yep. Cage, you should have got it for Pig, but yep. definitely not. Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. The world has changed. Coming. We need the rider. February 17th, the world's darkest hero returns. Are you ready? Say yes. Plus, I have some personal issues I kind of like to get fixed. Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance in 3D. And- it's, it's very strange just because uh, I thought this should have been a potent combination but then also we rarely talk about uh the unconnected marvel cinematic universe of sony and avi arid which this is a mm. part of T- same studio and producers of the spider-man movies but no continuity shared it just amazes me that they had this model in front of them and no one but the mcu could copy it even with marvel characters none of them could get it right yeah i mean there there's some magic going on at the mcu factory and it's a factory i admit that mm, but sure. it produces something that others utterly fail to produce it's it's literally disney like 50 years ago the marvel yeah. cinematic factory it, mm. it does it does have a special stink it puts on things and 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 i don't know why ghost rider is held as high aloft as as it is by Marvel fans my age, he's definitely been more of a cool character than yeah, an impactful. He was up there with the Punisher, you know, Marvel Knights. He was the bad boy of the, the last comic I read. He was the Punisher. Oh. <laughs> the, the, the cosmic, the cosmics, the cosmic Ghost Rider was Frank Castle riding around with a baby Thanos. He was supposed to kill. To pretend. <laughs> uh, I'm not kidding. Uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider. It's going to be an episode of What If, that, I guarantee. Oh, no, I think that's amazing. regular continuity. See, I'm more of a fan of Ghost Rider from airbrush t shirts in the sides of vans. Yeah, that works. Because that's where he belongs. I think that there's, there's, yeah, that, there's. Because a CGI skull looks stupid. Do we uh, yeah, all agree on that? I, no, I can't think skulls. of a successful CGI skeleton that I was like, ooh, scary. It's why I, <laughs> I think I love skeletons because they were synonymous with horror, but there's nothing scary about like an on-screen skeleton of any kind, especially Not a skull. All. all they can do is smile and look happy. And <laughs> <laughs> they can't frown. They can't grimace, even though Nick Cage does try. And I, I, 
this film might not even be a sequel, okay? Because no. yeah. in it's not the connected first film, you know, he decided to embrace his curse. Uh, but here, his biggest wish is to get rid of his curse, and that's never explained in the slightest. Yeah, nah. I, mean, I guess it's it's in it's in the comics, but then it's also that this and like <laughs> Silver Surfer, they're they're both cynically based on like trends happening in the world at the time these comics are being written and have mm. cool arcs. But like, I don't know if go. Last time we saw Ghost Rider, he's technically in the MCU, I think, unless they retconned Agents of Shield. Yeah, no, he. He's well. I mean, the the character is reverted to him, and that's why he's been on Agents of Shield. Yeah, because yeah. th- they were going to make a third one of these, and everyone said, "Oh God, no!" Yeah. And they lost their. Now, rights, the the yeah. crank guys couldn't save it. There's some decent car work, but there's something. Mm. If if you talk about the Marvel stank, I think at least they set this movie in Romania because they were filming it there. But it's just like long, desolate shots of nothing uh, <laughs> in a place you don't totally care about. Uh, with characters you care about even less. And I think we all kind of thought, oh, they're going to go hard R with this. It was not to be. Uh, it was not the balls out crankiness that crank the crank guys were known for. I don't know, Jr. What what did you think in Fresh Eyes? Uh, I think this is something you should skip and pretend it never happened. <laughs> it's, it's so tragic. It's so tragic, considering how higher hopes were at the time acknowledging this wouldn't be part of the MCU, but they got the right people to make it. There are a couple cagey moments of cage that is cagiest, and those <laughs> are worth exploring in clip format, but don't watch the movie for it. Yeah. Mm-mm. that This was boring. And like, you guys have never made a boring movie. And that gamer movie, which is terrible, is not boring. Yeah. At least it's not boring. I mean, I guess I was pleasantly surprised when Christopher Lambert popped up for like 10 seconds and <laughs> had a sword. And I was like, oh, yeah, remember a better movie I could be watching right now. <laughs> yeah, some of the action scenes, I would say, yeah, look up uh, on YouTube where they have that giant industrial digger machine. And yeah. then because Ghost Rider gets in it, it like turns into this giant fiery digger machine. That was neat. The movie was so dumb. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, no, we got to. Uh, it's basically there's there's a kid that Satan is going to possess his kid and rule the world. So we got to go Whoa. save this kid. The kid's Man. name is Damien. Eh? I, I don't eh? understand. I don't eh? understand. I want to hear. Eh? Does the cage is cagiest clip? Tra- does it translate to audio? Oh, I yes, hope so. Nicholas Cage being Nicholas Cage, which all my favorite movies of him this year, he barely makes a sound. So I do kind of miss. Wilding out Nicolas Cage. See, you're a bad man. And this thing, the writer, he feeds on them and he's hungry. He's hungrier than he's been years, and that's why I'm shaking. Because right now, the only thing standing between you and the writer is me. And he's just. He's, he's scraping at the door. Scraping at the door. All right, if you don't tell me what I want to know, I'm going to let him out. <laughs> if I spent 20 years acting at different volumes, I might win an Oscar on that. Like, what it's surely safe. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, Nick Cage are the best. Yeah, it, this sucks. This I, we, we all were expecting big things out of this. It even had a video game that yeah. came out that was also terrible. Like, even if it was going to be bad, it would be good bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's not yeah, even I, I would have loved a good, bad Ghost Rider film. Yeah. I'd be perfectly happy with it just being like, my brain needs to be at a eight-year-old level to enjoy this sure i can do that mm-hmm. but it doesn't even give me that yeah but your eight-year-old brain has to enjoy like fucking side hacker biker movies and like <laughs> it like it, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where, where Ghost Rider fits in. I hope to see him pop up in the Marvel Universe again, but I can't imagine he could ever get his own movie. He's just, mm-hmm. I just don't know that he's that type of character. Something for Halloween, though, I'd really appreciate. You know, it's interesting because the Hulk was always like one of Marvel's most famous properties. Mm -hmm. But the Hulk as a character works far better as a side character in the MCU than he has in any of his attempts at a film. So maybe the Ghost Rider could work really great as a side character in something. Maybe we'll get some good Marvel stuff in television. Not like 54th Annual Grammy Awards. It's sad, (laughs) as you'd expect. This was... uh, Whitney Houston just died. How did they like, deal? How did they deal the with that? The day before, they they rush. They get Jennifer Hudson in mm-hmm. to sing "I Will Always Love You," well. uh, and they they play Whitney Houston over the dead people montage. Uh, yeah, you you rush and you freak out. Um, that's yeah. that's what you do. And then the show, the rest of it is kind of boring because Adele just sweeps everything. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's well, just the Nikki- Adele show. Nicki Minaj did do The Exorcist, which was interesting. Oh, right. I remember that performance. I and I was like, what? And also, like, they, they already had a bunch of tributes lined up. Uh, just looking into it, I don't I don't remember it. But they had, like, a tribute to Etta James because she was a big deal. A tribute to Glenn Campbell already. He was a big deal. And then I was like, well, I guess we're sad about them, too. Yeah, no, we're too raw, guys. We don't. We're sad. Stop it. Oh, and I guess... Good. Oh, and then looking into it. Oh, there was a tribute to Clarence Clemens, and that got bumped by Whitney Houston. Wow. The big man did not get his respect. You know who did, though? Hmm? Betty White got a Grammy for her audiobook. (laughs) 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 Beating out Tina Fey. There's a... And, you know, Louis C.K. for comedy. Sorry, that's that's where my eyes tend to go. But, yeah, Betty White got a, a Grammy winner. She was at least, should have been halfway to the EGOT. Yeah. Uh, I, I am very curious to see if they include her on the Dead People montage in the Oscars. I can see that they would not, but they mm-hmm. should. Huh. I can't. What's the best Betty White movie? Like Placid? I mean, yeah, like Placid, The Proposal, the more recent one. I love that she pops up in um, Advising Consent. Where Burr. she's like the one female senator in the America. And I was like, you're damn right Betty White is our <laughs> one female senator. Be My Valentine Charlie Brown airs again, which is one of my favorite depressing Charlie Brown specials. Charles Schultz will capture aspects of childhood that the vast majority of children entertainers will not touch. Yeah. He is handling mm. rejection, loneliness, sadness, unrequited love. And he does it in such a way that I think is a very valuable lesson to children. I really think that it's important to show kids triumph and good things, but it's also important to show them that you can lose you can suffer defeat, and the world will not end. You will still be around after bad things happen to you. Yeah, and and, and I, <laughs> I only put it here because I put this clip on the internet 10 years ago, and it was part of a thesis that I know Diana's heard me rag about to death. It, like, just... You can still go into stores, Target today, and buy like 16 cute Snoopy and Woodstock and Charlie Brown shirts, but I'm just like, anybody really watching this stuff? Like, this is like... Uh, like not something I don't even know if you would want to show children. It's so depressing, especially th- this more so than any of the big specials. Because Charlie Brown goes through an entire Valentine's Day with a Valentine's Day bin, never gets filled. No, not a single person. Almost <laughs> same way that it's one thing with grownups don't want to give him candy and rocks instead, but all of his classmates deliberately avoid giving him a Valentine, and he's incredibly depressed by it. And the children actually notice and take pity on him. And uh, the next day, on February 15th, 
the girls come up to offer Charlie Brown a single Valentine, and Schroeder steps in the way. And this is how pathetic Charlie Brown is. Where were you yesterday when everyone else was giving out Valentines? Is kindness and thoughtfulness something you can make retroactive? Don't you think he has any feelings? You and your friends are the most thoughtless bunch I've ever known. You don't care anything about Charlie Brown. You just hate to feel guilty. And now you have the nerve to come around one day later and offer him a used valentine just to ease your conscience. Well, let me tell you something. Charlie Brown doesn't need your... Don't listen to him. I'll take it. (laughs) There's something so sad about that clip, and I just find it so odd that this is something people think is cute. It's 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 brave, but it's also like a morosely depressed man doing his best to make humor out of like his own... uh, uh, I don't know if you've read all those documentaries about him, but he's a very depressed dude, kind of like working on his own shit and things going wrong in his marriage in animated specials. (laughs) (laughs) And they they get played to this. Ten years ago, it was getting played on network television. When you all were in uh, school, uh, Mm -hmm. was it mandatory Valentine's? Yes. Yeah, you had to give one to everyone. Everyone. Yeah, I got the class list, so you can give them to everyone no matter what. To avoid the the, uh, choo-choo-choo-choo situation. unbelievable that it's hard to imagine a world where that wasn't a thing yeah just bring valentines for the kids you like anyway i'm the teacher i'm gonna have a cigarette uh like (laughs) what the fuck uh survivor 24 uh, season 24 premieres god God damn damn, they play fast and where they have like uh, three seasons a year but i guess they're like 12 years old and it's Mm -hmm. men versus the women sounds yeah this Mm -hmm. so they they were trying to do you know boost ratings because the format's getting stale. So they tried a bunch of things. And one of them was men versus women. And then they combined the tribes and uh, the women outnumber the men by one vote. And so every single week, the men would be <laughs> voted off because all the women stayed united and they just kept voting off the men. So that kind of removed any drama from the season because <laughs> it was just like, gee, I wonder who will get voted off. Maybe the same group that's been voted off the last seven weeks. I really think I'm surprised that after the like the second time that happened, the producers don't just like come up with a new rule of rank choice voting or something. Uh, none of the above is an option. You know, some of the things that we should try in like actual voting. I don't know. Declare honorary women. <laughs> I don't know what you do. Or you can just show up with a hawaiian dress on yeah girls let's get him (laughs) (laughs) or or it just becomes a competition between the men to be like who can suck up to the women more like you know who's more sympathetic to their their issues and their needs uh i I whittled a picture of your feelings uh i just before we go in (laughs) anyway uh other reality shows comic book men debuts on amc a show i have not seen a single frame of but I'm still such a big Kevin Smith fan. I am, but I'm not a fan of the guy who shows up in every Kevin Smith movie to say, tell him Steve, Dave, I don't need to see that guy run a (laughs) retail store. Uh, It's reality shows. I don't get in general, but like, I guess if I was going to watch one about running a comic business, and I think if we're being honest, the only reason this was a successful comic book business is because there was a reality show being shot in it. Because I think even with Kevin Smith's name, this place still struggles. That's true. The L.A. one, the L.A. uh, secret stash closed 
Yeah. I just looked that up. I was really shocked to find, oh, Westwood one was only there for like three or four years. And I think another one downsized. So I got some cool action figures from there. Oh, yeah. Uh, So if you've ever seen Pawn Stars, this is just 100% a geek version of Pawn Stars. You have a guy, he comes in. This is a rare collectible Gamera. Well, I've got a Gamera guy. And he brings in the Gamera expert who looks at it and says, well, actually, this is a replica. So I know you were asking for $1,000. I can give you 30 And the guy goes, well, I was really hoping for more than that. <laughs> and I goes, but he's a friend to children. <laughs> yes. I'd rather eat his turtle meat than part with my Gamera for $30. <laughs> Fuck you. Still, hey, seven seasons. Yeah, no, 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 not unimpressive. Uh, and, yeah. and, and I was going to all the Comic-Cons there, and these guys were like little princes. They were all over the place, uh, treated like royalty. Also this week, on an all-new House, an episode Chase. I have never watched House. It's good. Uh, it's it's fun. excellent, fun. Uh, just you're looking for a procedural show. Basically, uh, the best way to think of House is it's a cop murder mystery, only the murderer is a disease. And it's yep. all about figuring out who the disease is. That's And it's, that's, it's never lupus. Never lupus. It's <laughs> always might joke. be lupus. Never but lupus. it's never lupus. Which uh, taught me a lot about lupus and how it can, it's caused so many problems that are so vague and varied uh but this is an episode where chase one of the main characters who's been house's kind of like protege all this time he got stabbed Mm. in the previous episode and now he's questioning in everything and he decides he really doesn't want to be like house and uh it's generally considered to be one of the better if not the best episodes of the series it at least makes the top five list Mm. and i'm really happy like in the same show where we can exalt dr Katz. The unrelated spiritual successor is Life and Times of Tim on HBO that ends this week, which is another, I think, a fantastic show that always made me laugh out loud that I watched with friends at the time because we would only knew one person with HBO and a big television. It was all on YouTube recently, but they recently, if you listen to Laser Time's Best of TV, the guy who made Life and Times of Tim, I believe his claim to fame up until this was the Budweiser Frogs. That is what he created. Uh, his name is really Steve Dildarian. Don't laugh. And I'm going to laugh. I'm sorry. And, and if you've ever seen, I love that all he just, I think he designs all the characters. They all look stupid. They all face full forward the entire time. And he's got like a Ray Ramon S. No, don't do that. No, don't call me. The first episode I think is him hiring a prostitute and his, his girlfriend's parents come over like no it, it's not it's not what it looks it this down no. <laughs> i love the show and quietly last year hbo brought back a new show same guy same style but he's a 10 year old and it's called 10 year old tom not to be confused with life and times of tim he doesn't change his voice at all from a 30 year old <laughs> adult to a 10 year old boy who shits his pants while playing tuba recitals i love life and times of tim it's difficult to describe but it's very dr cats very limited animation but seemingly incredibly improv- improvisational dialogue nick kroll being a huge character in life Ooh. and times of tim and this year it's a the what's her Edie from uh, Righteous Gemstones on Ten Year Old Tom and John Malkovich, <laughs> John Malkovich, <laughs> yes, Todd Glass and uh, uh, what's her name from Community, Jillian Anderson, not Anderson Jacobs, but yeah, can't recommend that show enough. And Life at Times at Tim, I thought it was great. Three seasons. I've never heard of this show before now, mm-hmm. and I watched the season finale and I got into it instantly. Yeah, it's good. it ends on a quasi cliffhanger because they didn't know if they'd be picked up but it ends perfectly because tim brings a lot of misfortune 
but I never feel bad for him because no. he's a low key piece of shit. Yes. He's not he's not this unbelievably piece of shit that I can tell, but he's a low key piece he's of a, shit. He's so. a coward who will do anything to protect his reputation, but he won't outwardly do anything to affect other people. Yeah. But yeah, just a, a constant he's, coward. <laughs> but uh watching the finale made me want to watch the entire rest of the series. That's good. And it's hmm. very Dr. Cat. You're right. I, I go play a, a fun video game and just listen to it like a podcast. It'll be great. But, but the, the character designs are so silly and they look so dumb. It's making me laugh just thinking about it. Moving on to the games of 2012. One of the biggest selling games on any Nintendo platform of this period, uh, the 14th of Feb, Mario and Sonic are the London Olympic Games. 2012 Olympic Games. Don't get confused when the, whenever the last time London had the Olympics. <laughs> Mario and Sonic were not there. It's on 3DS. And yes, Sonic will be competing um, with, in, with Toad in a foot race. Somehow. Not fair. And can not lo- fair. He can lose. He can lose. I'll, I'll give him credit for at least getting it far enough in advance. You know, it's it's for the Summer Olympics, which is weird considering all these other games we've had. It's like the Winter Olympics that started last week. It's, <laughs> this is one of the weirdest. We always called it the Monkey's Paw franchise. Just like if you grow up in the Genesis Nintendo Wars, like, man, wouldn't it be great if Mario and Sonic were in a game together? And like, yeah, what if they were? for 15 years and you had no interest in ever playing it because they were mini game <laughs> compilations based on a licensed Olympic game. Uh, it, it, it's the franchise is over a decade old now. And uh, my God, uh, the death of another franchise. That was one of my favorite game franchises of all time. Uh, Twisted metal for PS3. I think, I think it's the last one. It's safe to say the last one, a big Twisted Metal game for PS3, much hyped. I had so many pictures with the Sweet Tooth ice cream truck, but vehicular combat. Think uh, Tony Hawk and Street Fighter come together and you just battle around an arena in cars shooting missiles at one another. It was unbelievably grand, a great way to showcase a 3D game engine when the PlayStation came out and the franchise survived for three generations. And I remember I have... Even your your husband and I, Diana, like we're so excited for this game. It was just something lacking about it. Like just the grandeur wow. of the I just remember the vehicles. I'm like, this controls doesn't feel so much like I'm driving, but like I'm holding a pop a vehicle on a popsicle stick in front of a moving image and just tilting it left and right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel many driving physics. There's no like damage in real time. I can't remember my exact criticisms, but it, it didn't perform very well in sales and critically so i'm not are there any like crazy car games in existence today <sighs> not that i can think of not nothing nothing Seems new like a niche there should be yeah. a niche for uh this to be they rebooted they re-release cell damage and and vigilante 8 on occasion but like yeah it was never that subgenre sub subgenre is probably the best name for it but i i, I loved it i and twisted metal is the king of whatever that sub genre is and uh it's difficult to see it not around anymore and I can't believe this, February 14th, Crusader Kings 2 on PC. I did not know it was that huge a gap in between Crusader Kings 3. But Yes, uh, yes, because this is the start of Paradox's new way of being a company. Mm-hmm. Before they were making regular sequels, Crusader Kings 2 is when they went, you know what we are? We are a DLC factory. Mm-hmm. And the DLC isn't going to be minor. The DLC is going to be major. And what they did is they never stopped improving Crusader Kings 2 for eight years. And what they do is they'd roll out a major improvement for free. And then if you wanted the extra bells and whistles, you could get the DLC. And that became their model. And it worked amazingly so. Because Crusader Kings 2, with all of its DLC, would cost you $300. Wow. (laughs) 
That's a downright train simulator esque. <laughs> but Crusader Kings Two, the game, is I think one of the most amazing story generating games of all times. For our mm. listeners who aren't familiar with it, it you're not playing a nation, you're not playing a general. You are playing a dynasty. You are trying to make your bloodline survive and thrive through hundreds of years. So you can start out as a tiny little, petty little uh, count in a tiny know-nothing province, rise to become emperor, and then fall back to be a, a petty count again. And you're still just playing your son's sons or your grandma's granddaughter and so on and so forth. It's whoever is the heir of your dynasty at that moment that's who you're playing hmm. and it's a balancing game and balancing in, in this game is impossible because <laughs> your your vassals always want more of your land your wife always wants more jewelry and your brother always wants more of your wife <laughs> because okay I'm going to throw this out here. Incest <laughs> is a significant part of this game. No. I am not. I am not. It's the Middle Ages, okay? Oh, yeah. And it, there's a lot of intermarrying where it's really not a good idea to intermarry. But if you do that, you get this nice little duchy. So, you know, you mm. ask the Pope for a favor to ignore <laughs> that they're your first cousin. And it's all good. Uh, but it's not a paint the map red game. And there was so much crazy stuff in this game. The devs introduced a character randomly generated called Glitterhoof. Glitterhoof was a horse, a literal horse. Uh -huh. Mostly you're playing people, okay? But there were a couple instances of the Middle Ages where King goes crazy and he makes his horse, his advisor, or whatever. Yeah, so they go. went, yeah. you know what? Here's a horse. You can make him your advisor. He's not and called Incitatus. It's called Glitterhoof. Glitterhoof. Ooh. And these mad player... Yeah, I know the name of Caligula's horse, okay? <laughs> but the mad player bastards of Crusader Kings 2 eventually reached a point where they could make Glitterhoof emperor of the reborn Roman Empire. <laughs> it is possible. It is possible if you play it right. So you could have a horse not just conquering Europe, but bringing back the Roman Empire after a thousand yeah. years of dead. And Pax Glitarum. So much DLC. You could eventually play Horse Lords, where you were playing the Mongols, which had a completely different dynamic than feudal Europe. It's it's an incredible, incredible in-depth game. And Crusader Kings 3 blows it away because hmm. the sequel is so much easier because this is dense. This uh. is be prepared to use your brain immensely. And Crusader King 3 has vastly better... Uh, user interface, and it has 3D models that actually help you remember, oh, right, that's that person who's trying to kill me. Because <laughs> you will forget who is trying to kill you in this game, because everyone is trying to kill you in this game. Wow. It, uh, I can't, this article says there's 7 million units of this sold, mm -hmm. and according to Paradox, the game was played by an average of 12,000 uh, players every day with an average playtime of 99 hours per player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. I mean, this this is one of those games where it's like, you know, y th this is your second job. You know, mm. it, I'll be. Uh, yeah, I, I worked at PC Gamer for a little bit, the website and the magazine. And most of it 
my experience was pretty transferable, except for things like this. And there would be times like, hey, can you edit this section of the magazine? I'm just like, no. I don't understand, I don't understand what any of this means. This might as well be like a banking blog. Uh, I, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you can buy uh, Crusader Kings 2 with all the DLC for dirt cheap now. I would honestly recommend any new player start with Crusader Kings 3, though. It's much easier to get into. You can generate insane stories it's 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 a blast if you have any interest in the medieval era give yourself a weekend to try to play this game Hmm. all right well Mm -hmm. with that hey in case you dipped out already we have a we'll tell you who died and we have a quiz to let you know who was born uh jr usurped me last week in a way i found rude and cheating and i was thinking john williams that whole time i don't get it but i do want to remind people patreon.com slash laser time is how we uh support ourselves and you know Remember the John Cusick. Patreon.com slash time. Thank you to executive producers like Chris Parker for hanging with us. We should have a bonus episode about Jackass, uh, the Fiji Game Apocalypse guy, guys, Mr. Diana Goodman and Maddie Allen. We do a regular. Uh, we're still catching up. Uh, 30 2010 games. Big, massive shows where we go way in depth on games because at this point, some of them were either covering as members of the press or working on as members of people who work at publishers. So we have inside knowledge of some of these games. Might not hear on other shows. I'm not saying it's interesting. I'm saying we haven't. What did I... uh, (laughs) 50 years combined gaming uh, experience in the games industry. Diana, where can people find you? They can find me on the Twitter at LeCineNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. And coming up next week, wow, do we have some weird shit to talk about. You ever want to see Rambo and Sophia from the Golden Girls team up? <laughs> oh, 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 no. Yeah. Oh, no. You ever, ever want to see Marge Simpson get her t- name above the title? Oh. In a Nora Ephron movie? That exists. We have a, a movie where Aaliyah's not really dead, except, yeah, she, she totally was dead. And, oh, we have a, a hockey movie that I know Chris likes very much. What? Oh, wait. Yes. Oh my God! I only like one hockey, two only two good hockey movies There's out there. Only here. two good hockey movies yeah. out there, and we're going to talk about the more recent of the ones that don't involve quite as many slurs, Paul Newman. But the big thing we have to talk about is also sports related. We're talking softball. <laughs> Every time I hear the original song, I am shocked. Like just the Sims. Uh, anyway, anyway. Ozzy Smith is still at the mystery spot. He hasn't been seen for a year. <laughs> and Steve Sachs's biggest form of relevance, way out balancing any of his contributions to baseball. <laughs> JR, where can people hear more of you? They can find me on Talking Terrific Television. We are doing a chronological examination of The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. And they can also find me on Twitter at J-R-R-A-L-L-S. And uh, <laughs> all right, with that out of the way, who died this week, Diana? Well, in 1992, that's when we lost Alex Haley, who was 70s, the writer of Autobiography of Malcolm X and Roots. 2002, we lost Waylon Jennings, who's 64, Outlaw Country. And in 2012, we lost Dory Previn, who is a singer-songwriter, who's 86. If you listen to You Must Remember This, I think she Mm -hmm. did a couple episodes on her. She's a pretty interesting person. Dory Previn, it's a wonderful old-timey name. Dory Previn. I can say that with no bass in my voice whatsoever. But with that out of the way, it's time for Bubba Birthday Quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. This is someone I liked, and now I have even more respect for her. So, her. turning 
Turning 68. Almost nice. <laughs> Nearing nice. So close to nice. Nearly nice. I like that. Uh, born February 17, 1954 in Burbank, California. Uh, her mom worked at a factory and tended bar because dad left when she was two. She had severe scoliosis and had to wear a back brace. That plus being tall meant she was bullied so bad she dropped out of high school. Another theme. Sweet D from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. No. Now, no fictional characters. Yeah. <laughs> Considering the... Like, she was bullied so bad for her appearance, um, a modeling scout spotted her at a Rolling Stones concert, and she became a huge model in the 70s and 80s. Covers Wait. of Nope, she was 60s. Covers of Cosmo, Vogue. But as she started to hit her 30s, work in the modeling industry kind of slowed down, so she took acting classes. Michelle Pfeiffer? Good guess, but no. Weird aside, she took acting lessons from a guy named Alan Rich, who is a hey, it's that guy that was blacklisted in the 50s. And I once chatted with him on Waiting for a Fight. And he was really downplayed. They're like, yeah, I act sometimes. And his, his IMDb is like 200 things long. Anyway, we have talked about her work in Buddy, Mr. Destiny, and The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Ah, uh, not One so good cop. Piper Paraboo. No. Ransom. Lethal Weapon 4. Jodie Foster? No. Ray, Renee Russo. Bam! It is Renee Russo. Tin Cup, Thor, Major League, Free Jack, and Thomas Crown <laughs> Who could forget Free Jack? The best movie I've watched this year. It, well, HBO. My HBO won't forget Free Jack. It keeps coming up. It's like, you want to finish this? I'm like, I was at the credits. Like, You want to continue watching Free Jack? Don't you want to see the uh, stinger at the end of Free Jack? <laughs> Setting up the Free Who's Jack. Who's going to be the next Free Jack? Universe? It's going to be another Oscar winner. Uh, Ray also, Liotta. I didn't realize Major League is her acting debut. What? She's so good. Oh yeah. my god! Oh yeah. So Renee Russo, happy birthday! I had no idea. I did. I did. She went through. So, I mean, wearing a back brace to school for years. Look. As a person, as a person who was bullied, I didn't really partake in that much. Not saying never, but yeah, that we had a girl who was teased and then blossomed so hard. And I just remember watching her trot across these male suitors so kind to not bring up their behavior from several years ago but it's, it's like i could just see she had it in her back pocket uh mm-hmm. and, and just she didn't forget she was just enjoying her time now and would use this to destroy these uh, egos at any second it was fucking wonderful i love stories mm-hmm. like that yeah that's yeah. i wonder how many of them saw her on the cover of cosmo and was like what uh, i was your friend back then oh, um we were cool was that the girl i oh i poured lemonade down her back brace oh my god Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah well thank you guys so much i've taken my throne back from jr of talking terrific television and uh hopefully here it will remain crusaders king style worship my horse (laughs) uh uh it's again a fun week watch wayne's world again if you haven't in a while it is joyous absolutely joyous very very happy with that film support candidates who support uh, some kind of a single payer or universal health care system and for private health care for life or try to destroy the american government within so canada will invade Mm -hmm. set them up merida yeah Merida. the phil hartman skit on that yeah Yeah. america it's over there by the chesterfield why (laughs) (laughs) i mean prime minister Actually, speaking of Canada, we have someone who's a very... Go, I, when I picked to go out with, 
uh, someone in America is just a one hit wonder, but it's a damn good song. But if you actually listen to the lyrics, it it's literally just a song about how awesome it is to road trip in to Canada. Drive. And, and you, I, I was only <laughs> reminded of this <laughs> because it was one of those family guy jokes where they just cut to like almost the entirety of a music video in the middle of their show. And it was this one. Uh, Life yeah. is a Highway by Tom Cochran. <laughs> Inspired by his time in Africa. Really? Interesting. He's yeah. like, this This place isn't Toronto. I'm going to write a song. A lot more highway there. Uh, but yeah, let's take us out, Tommy, and we will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Let's